podcast um we're here with a special guest as i had said last week um and steve is swatting at me i mean john you're john i really can't tell our names in the first two seconds of the podcast that's pretty bad well they don't they don't know he should have went with steve well as far as they know we just burst into existence at this time we don't actually exist before the podcast actually begins that's true actually you're both my imaginary friends and i do really good impressions it's like that day on growing pains where kirk stays home and discovers the world totally doesn't actually revolve around him Oh dear. <laughs> that's a nice callback. Anyway, our, that, that was from our guest. No, that's a nice call. <laughs> we didn't go back to it. Um, Sarah Biz is our oh. guest of Wasties fame. She was first featured on that episode with us and the rest of her bandmates. She's the second of the Wasties to be on individually. Um, she'll be playing some music for us later. Um, and she also brought us our album of this week, um, if you want to give us a little bit about it. Uh, this is Love Has Come For You by Steve Martin. Yes. That's Steve Martin and Edie Brickell. One of the songs off this album won a Grammy this year for Best Americana Song. And I like bluegrass and banjo, so I thought, why not? It's as good a reason as any. It's as good a reason. And you know, there's so it's surprising how many people don't know that Steve Martin's been a musician as long as he's been a performer. That was exactly my reaction last week mm-hmm. when Matt passed on the word that we're doing this album. Yeah, In fact, all... both me and John had that reaction. We had incredulous voice happening. Yeah. Because Steve Martin's a common name. We figured, oh, well, it's got to be, be that, different. Steve gotta be a different This one. isn't even his first album or his first Grammy. <laughs> See, I knew he played banjo, though, of course, because I remember the old SNL sketches. He always, you know, would have that little moment where he'd bring on the banjo. There's Steve Martin with his trademark little thing. But I imagine it as just sort of a sidebar in his com- comedic career where he would go to his auditions and say at the end, oh, by the way, I also play banjo. So then, you know, they just say, we need this guy for kicks, if anything. Yeah, no, he's now for at least almost a decade, a serious bluegrass musician. He's done more bluegrass than comedy in the last decade, Apparently probably. Grammy, Grammy Award winning yeah, musician. Twice, no, no, a twice Grammy Award winning musician, no less. Okay, I guess we've established that me and John are shocked. <laughs> um, so we'll get right... Oh, uh, what were you going to say? That he's also joined by Edie Brickell, who I feel like I must be the only person in this room who remembers Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians. And, and Remember? Yeah. <laughs> or was around for? <laughs> Better. That's, you know, that she was like the folk rock goddess of my junior high years, I think. Um, so, and then she married Paul Simon. And now she's playing with Steve Martin, and I, I just like the symmetry. I don't know what it's like. Yeah, you mentioned about. that during this album, and, and it shows. It, I think it does, it does show, actually. Yeah. Yeah. She, some, of her, the, some of the songs she sings do have a similar style to Paul, for sure. You definitely hear it. That's right, I said Paul, not Paul Simon. We're on first, first name basis. basis. Yeah. Okay. Look, at, look one, at Matt over no, here. No, there's only one Matt. Paul on this broadcast, and... and, and, and Is and, he a Beatle? Yes, he's a Beatle. We do mention him at nauseam sometimes. Um, let's jump right into the first track, which is called When You Get to Asheville. Asheville. I did it again. I said it off the air that way, and I did it here, too. I just can't talk. 
anyway, this is the intro track to the album. Um, and I thought, I mean, as far as intro tracks go, and I know we talk a lot, we stick to our, that's a good intro track, a bad intro track. We always start on that same damn and thing. Well, like, as intro tracks go, this. not too bad, it's, not too bad. It's an intro track to an Americana album that invites you to consider that you can come home again. How how how, int- how introspective. <laughs> I mean, look, I guess th- this was a, a very odd point that I had just in in a uh, s- few of the lyrics here. And one is that that send me an email, which was thrown in after just like the third line or so, which was interesting because it sort of takes you out of the feel here. I, it's it it has the feel of something that could have been written fifty years ago, a hundred years ago, you know, in in the vein of. Send me a telegram. Write me a letter. Let me know something about where you are, and if you want to, come home. It's a very sweet, time-tested tale. Throwing in the email thing is a little strange, considering he could always do that from the train. Well, but email it's check generation. In, check in on me when you check in on me once you've arrived. Is I think a timeless, timeless sentiment. Yes, but also, but I mean, look at it this line. way: in in ten years' time, it could be send me a Snapchat. I mean, I think it it's just, well. this is the mode Please of communication well. we use. And, and but see, no, my point is, when you get to Asheville, though, this is such a minor point for the track, and I know it is, but it's only a hard it's one still, right now. It's still, but it still harkens to the slower, and I don't know how you could say email is slow, but the slower form of communication in our society, as it is... So you're, you're, you're answering my qualm right Tweet, now. instant messaging, Facebooking, just texting, it's all faster an email. That's true, actually. And as much yes. this, this is, is as much like writing a letter. Yeah, it's 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 stagecoach. All right, no, that's not. Take the time to compose something. To don't sit just... at your keyboard and all right. and think about me. All right, yeah. that's don't... good. That's good. Okay, pulled it back. You pulled There's it back. Depth. Good job, John. Also, um, I have a note that says Steve Martin plays amazing banjo. I think I wrote that a lot. Well, I think that's kind of <laughs> that's the whole idea. I yeah, know. I've I've got I've got interesting points on that later in the album here. At the beginning here, it's it's sort of on par, I think, for what I've heard of banjo playing. First of all, it is kind of a tricky instrument uh, to learn. It the skills don't don't immediately transfer over from guitar, from what I've heard from a lot of guitar players. Or really any other instrument. A lot of people. I knew some people odd. who went. I can't remember if they went from guitar to mandolin to pick up the banjo. That makes more sense, I suppose. Rather than guitar, does. yeah, 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 guitar to mandolin, so that they could end up playing the banjo. It has something to do with the tuning. I think I heard that um, that a banjo is in G major, like predominantly. It's pretty odd. But uh, I I'll agree with you on this one. It didn't feel like it was anything like special or expansive for banjo work. But I did like the way the cello uh, complements it. The, yes, the cello was... work because the cello seemed to have the a really uh, really wide range because when it was first introduced. I thought it was a violin, but as it starts hitting those deeper chords, you realize this guy's really hitting a full range on, on Yeah, there's that notes. aha note where it's like, ah cello, there you go. I also have a note that says, like, he plays bass like a heartbeat, this bass player. Like, that oh, was yeah. in this song particularly, which I thought was appropriate because it's someone who has lost a love and having some trouble reconciling that. Like, if not in life, then at least for distance, that person isn't with them. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the driving of the bass in that song was particular. The pizzicato bait, bass, mm-hmm. the upright. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that it, this song, I guess, is the first place where it's noticeable, and it, it becomes noticeable even more later on. Um, it has the effect 
of being combined with like a, a, a jug band or something like that. Uh, it, it's, it's this interesting bend in the notes, which is there, you know, you have to use a lot of force in general when you're playing an upright bass, so you need to kind of give it a little bit of bend in there. But if you do it just right, and if you can get it clean enough, it gives that really, really cool effect, which I totally agree is perfectly heartbeat-like. In comment to your jab, I guess, at the banjo playing early on, no. um, I think that the the banjo playing is toned down in the intro track for a reason, though. I think that this track was really to show off, maybe not so much the lyrics, because the lyrics were good, nothing you uh, unbelievable that I've never heard before, but her voice takes the forefront in the song more or less right out of the great gate, and I think it, toning down the banjo playing and making it less showy was to showcase her voice. No, I agree, sound. and you misunderstand me. I'm not, like, going into the first track here saying I expect virtuosic banjo quality playing here, and frankly, it is very good. As I said, it's a difficult instrument, and it's 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 right there on the money. And I think that actually speaks to a little bit of our preconception, because when you hear a name, a Hollywood name like Steve Martin doing something outside of what we know him for, and he's playing the banjo. You expect that it's all going to be about the banjo. It's all going to be about solos and, you know, a guy with, like, ten fingers trying to pick this thing. Like, that kind of complexity. I think and you're saying that just... more because so much of Steve Martin's work is Steve Martin. Giant face. <laughs> exactly. <cover. laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's Steve Martin is a larger-than-life character. Here, he's actually just a musician in the band. He's a very good storyteller. Yeah. And, and, he, and he's content to play his part. Yeah, know? it's so, he's a front man here, but he's not... A, a, a main actor. Nobody nobody besides the vocalist is becoming the main actor. He's a supporting role. And I actually appreciate that. I like the fact that it wasn't just, you know, a banjo album. Yeah. I like that it's an album. I agree. And having looked at his previous work, apparently this is not this is not new for him in terms of the uh, collaborations he's had, had. It's been many, much of him as a supporting role for the featured vocalist or, or songwriter etc etc so yeah I, I i think it was very tasteful that said i, I guess there's not much more to say about this this track it's it's very it was straightforward a, it was a very straightforward track and i think it started the album on a, on a good you know kind of nice mellow note and bled very well into the next track which was get along stray dog yeah, this was more of an interesting track just for the sake that it had more of a pep to it it was more of a folk square dance banjo riff you could tell that immediately if you've ever been to any type of square dance which i can say i have <laughs> it's, it's um it also takes that little bit of bass oriented percussion we got in the first song and and really brings it to the forefront uh i really really enjoy the way uh the bass is being used here the upright and uh the, the percussive nature it's getting in this song makes it really that grabbing and, and something a little bit different in, in, in its twang, a little bit different to the ear that I, I just enjoy this song for that energizing nature it brings. I like that they, um, it's a really danceable tune and it's totally suited to Brickell's voice and it also paints a really nice picture of community hmm. and that they're using a dance tune to paint a picture of what it is to have a communal meal with unexpected guests and all of these people and just a sense of there always being more and you're just dealing with that. Like, wow. I, I thought, I th it made me think of like a close-knit small town. Hmm. And that, that, that lends the whole idea of a dance tune, a, um, a gathering, a, I don't know, to be, to be colloquial, a get-together, you know, down just a, a actual town party. The sort of thing that you don't get in, you know, big cities. We get 
parades. Well, this is Here, a real. This is, this is, this is a this real. Is, so it's meant, at least from what I could tell, it's a real. So it's like it's meant for community dancing. It's meant for groups, not people, not individuals. Yeah, it's it's meant for you know the people you your neighbors that you actually know by name. Well, I also got the sense that this was uh this was someone's home. I didn't get the sense that this was a public venue as I went throughout this. No, no that's that's what this I'm saying. Come over for dinner. You invite your neighbors and, over, and, and so you and have so a party has also with them. Stopped in. Yeah, yes, and exactly. that's get, get, hence the get along straight dog. Yeah, what you get from a small town, but. Give me a couple things to comment on here. I want to quickly go back to, uh, John, your point about the bass. Yeah. There was a point where the... I, be, I want to hazard a guess that maybe it was the kick drum that was brought in here and that it wasn't just the uh, the the thump you were hearing, the natural thump from an upright bass, that it might have also been a kick drum here, which is when I think the track really got some pep going for it. Yeah. I think that's when it really sort of took off for me as the as a really great song to actually dance to. Like, I... I believe that is the function for this no definitely lyrics notwithstanding because the lyrics are interesting in themselves and i did get one lyric here that really did sign uh stick through uh shine through excuse me because there was the there's this southern west midwestern feel of of throwing in a metaphor for everything that you always get from from old aunt may or you know grandmother said or mother said and it's always about passing on this wisdom from the from the previous generations and there was one line here You'll never get through cooking for the saints and sinners, which I thought was a very, like, I actually have family from the South, and it seems like exactly the kind of thing that my grandmother would have said, which it's, it, it's sort of, it's sort of nostalgic, in fact, to listen to a line like that. And when you consider all of the, the pairings that are brought in here, pairings such as, oh, what was it, Jimmy and, and such and such, blank and blank, get along, get along, get along comparing them to saints and sinners as if they don't get along outside of the dinner table, but the second there's a gathering, then everyone will be kind for mama. Well, also, like, get along is, like, mo- it's like motion, too. Like, get along now. Oh, yeah, get along. That's true. That's yeah. an expression in the cell. And, well, and, I mean, what I really liked about this song, as I said in the beginning, is that it bled very well from the, the intro track, is I think it was nice to go from a sweet, kind of mellow track into this very danceable song to kind of get you moving, get the energy of the record going as well. For a second track to, to go this route is very good. I agree. It's a solid start to an album. And as with every great square dance number, you have to have a great fin- fiddle interlude, as we do later on, which was probably the most enjoyable section of this track. Um, and I even have to say, just the general chorus was very catchy. That get along, get along, get along, blank. <laughs> Insert whoever you choose. No, yeah, I think that, I mean, like I said, the, the, the lyrics in the first track and this track as well are not anything that are, are very subversive or things that are going to make you have to think on. They're very face value, but there's nothing wrong with that, especially in an album like this. We get subversive next track, though. Yeah, yes. and that's where things start changing. The, just from the bluegrass and Americana style I know of, which bleeds over into the my southern rock backing and and all of that I grew up with, double entendres are not a, a, a real thing. And There's an honesty associated with the bluegrass nature of just being forthcoming. You don't get, you know, double, like I said, double entendres. You don't get a lot of depth to the lyrics, and that's part of the charm to it. But with track three, Love Has Come For You, there's a lot more here that I just wasn't prepared for. And that is why this is one of my favorite songs on the album. And I understand why I believe this one was the Grammy-winning song. It's, it's because of that kind of breaking the mold that I really, really do enjoy this song. Uh, 
the whole concept of this, and we'll be quoting lyrics from it because this is one of those songs you have to. A woman is being told to give up her child, is being told to have this child that's out of wedlock or from doing stupid things at a young age and can't because of the love she feels. It's it's a, a spin on the lost child, forlorn mother concept that I just really, really like. Um, this is coupled with some of my favorite inflection in her vocals. And that is that real extra emphasis in the choruses on that southern drawl. Instead of saying angels, it, 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 it changes the way the vowels work, and I just love the way, the forlorn way she sings those lines. That's that natural charm to the southern drawl, I think, that, uh, that a lot of, uh, I think it's part of the major draw between folk music and country music in general. There's just that sweetness that sounds so personable, you could get along to it easily. The second it's sung it, and applied to music, it's just beautiful. There's, well, they're both from Texas, actually, Martin and Brett. Interesting. Originally, anyway. Um, but he wasn't raised in Texas, but she was. But, um, yeah, like you said, I enjoy that it subverts the trope of um, the woman who's forced to give up a child or who kills a t- the woman who's forced to give up a child or who kills a child. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of songs where women kill their babies because they're not supposed to be pregnant in the first place. And I feel like this is almost even more than she can't, she won't. And this is the first time in this album that we really see that pursuit of agency for people who don't normally get to, to shape the narrative. Um, hmm. and, and she takes on, she makes the decision. I, I, I want to I wanna actually pursue that, that, that phrasing right there, that pursuit of agency. I'd like you to elaborate a little bit more on that. So agency, like the ability to make a decision for yourself, the ability to hmm. shape your narrative to, to be the acting force instead of being acted on. In the traditional types, like the traditional songs that follow this sort of story, um, if the woman has any, like if she's taking an action, it's usually to keep her or to bring her back in line with what society expects of her. And in this case, she's making the decision that, that goes along with what she chooses and what she wants. So she's taking, like, so she has agency over her own life. Okay, well, let's provide some context here then. Uh, for instance, a little bit of lyrics. She had a child by that man from the bank. He was married with a son. All of her family said, give that child away to erase what you've done. But when she held that sweet boy in her arms, none of their words meant a thing. And when she held that sweet born in her, boy in her arms, she heard the quiet angels sing. Love, love, love has come for you. Love has come for you. So I kind of see what you're saying here. It, it's definitely a subtle message. It's really subtle, I feel. It, it's, it's hidden beneath this, but then again, it, it, there's also a little bit of a pared-down nature to the, to the music itself, aside from, aside from some dynamic shifts in, in the banjo, which I think was, was, at least on the musical front, it was what I was most drawn to. Uh, the sweet swells, these volume swells, which were rather beautiful, and they complemented her, uh, her it was lyrics. It great harmony, too. It was. Um... See, I don't, it's funny because like, I didn't seem that subtle to me, but I, I think yeah, I was either. doing a little digging in to the, I was doing a little digging into the music um, that they've been making together on this album and otherwise, and I found a sort of murder ballad with a twist hmm. where it seems like the woman is going to be the victim and it seems like the woman is going to be the victim and the song gets like incredibly uncomfortable and then she's the acting driving force in the song and she's the one telling the story. And um, so I feel like that's sort of, I don't, it's a hallmark, I think, of what Brickell is going after. 
is giving the voice back to some of the people who have traditionally not like we'll see it again when we get to the iron the train song right that will definitely this we'll definitely have this conversation again but it was something that i guess was was it, did, it didn't hit me perhaps as hard because i do hear that in a lot of country music i feel like that's a common that that's a common literary uh attack on on the on the lyrics themselves is putting themselves in the place of a position of power because you are hearing that um you are hearing their voice after all they are the storyteller so i feel like there is that control as you put it control agency whatnot it's it's it just i guess it just didn't hit me hard because of the genre itself i feel like it's defined a little bit like that i'm also a woman and i am bred literally to listen for things like this because our voices (laughs) aren't but literally it's we don't get representation anywhere on an equal level and so i think especially i in would traditional, argue though that in country music it's very very present i'm not okay well i haven't listened to modern country music but like listening to bluegrass and americana and sort of like old-timey music i feel like it's a it's a more modern thing okay to that's fair the that's fair because i guess there's that fine line it's not so fine for some people but could be fine from my perspective yeah absolutely. between uh between americana and and uh, and country in general, yeah. because country was born out of Americana, and it's really just the modern pop twist of Americana. That's the direct lineage well, there. And then you get Shania Twain, who's built her entire career on taking the power in her songs for the most part, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. that. So yeah, there's that. But I feel like this... even Dolly Parton for the hell. Right. Yeah, but like in this, this is the first time that I've been made aware that there are songs of this nature. Like I sing stuff like this sometimes, but like mm-hmm. that. You know, there's a beautiful song called Down by the Bonnie Greenwood Side. It's an Irish ballad. I think it's actually a child ballad, which makes it English. But, like, this woman goes outside of her father's castle walls, gives birth, and kills the kids and sneaks back in. And, like, that's the sort of... And she's condemned for her choice in the song, and she's haunted by the children, literally, in the song. And I feel like that's the typical story that I'm used to hearing in these types of songs. Mm. So to get a different twist and a positive twist was kind of amazing and i think also the the nature of the song being more toned down almost mainstream if you will is to put focus on that story and those lyrics i i will refute the mainstream idea because i don't have i I, it doesn't feel like it has a, a a the typical bluegrass progression with all the instruments in the beginning and that was a big thing i saw is that there really is an introduction of the instruments, and that adds to the complexity and adds to like the more overbearing nature of the emotions going on here. Ah, uh, but see, that's the thing. I got I gotta switch over to the musical front here because at least on that on that note, I wasn't seeing as much. Maybe I was getting more of what what I've been now gotten from the first and second tracks here. It was a fairly pared down track to me uh, on the musical front. The most engaging thing I think was those volume swells in the banjo. Um, I think. I think speaking to what Sarah's saying, that probably a good reason for that is to highlight the lyrics themselves. But in terms of musical complexity, I don't. I, I really wouldn't highlight this track. No, I won't album. say. I'm not saying the instruments themselves. Just the way the actual instruments progress in their introductional me- methods, blah, 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 uh, are a little bit different than what I would come to expect with bluegrass. It was more. It was designed to be more oppressive as you go along, and I did enjoy the way it couples with the story here. Well, and I, I think, think it, it did propel it. It's a little bit more Irish. Like, bluegrass has some Irish roots, and I feel like this is sort of a more Irishy style, almost. Like, Because they bring in the Bowron toward the end. Right. And, like, one of the last rhythmic things you hear is this... 
you know, like I, can't, I don't remember exactly what the rhythm, the rhythmic yeah. choice is, but that thuddy thud that again, like a bass, is almost like a heartbeat. That it's sort of a driving rhythm. Right, it's it was present. I do recall that, but yet even that wasn't quite so driving in this track as compared to others. So it feels like I, I had a general weaker sense for for perhaps something you know put forth as the title track. I, I was feeling a little bit a little bit lackluster at this point. And I also melody wise, I wanted a little bit more. I wanted more zing in See, that melody. I thought it was simple and so beautiful. Yeah. Simple and beautiful. This is definitely a taste issue, and it's yeah. it's, it's going to go back and forth as we go through this album. Because um, there are moments where I feel, you know, it's, it's artistic choice at, at particular times. So, eh. I guess I'll I'll hold off. But my, my, my period at the end of the sentence was that this is sort of a sleepy track for me. Okay. Maybe that's sweet. Maybe that's sweet. But... That brings us to a friend of mine, or just just friend of mine, track four. Now this is interesting because I also was noticing a little bit more repetition in Steve Martin's banjo playing at this point, at least just in the intros. Now I understand that the intros for for this banjo riff essentially is meant to just repeat the riff as you'll find across the duration of each and every verse when you follow them. So you get it introduced in the beginning without the lyrics and then you get accompanied with lyrics and it's just layer 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 i felt like it too was a little lacking at this point i was very defensive of it in the the opening track but here at the fourth track i guess i wanted a little bit more perhaps this to me sounded most like a new bohemian song honestly and Mm. also a little bit like a paul simon like one of the later paul simon numbers and i'm not saying that there's like (laughs) deliberate influence there it's just it was like a sweet little get the paul it was a sweet little track it was like i liked that I, I felt like I could really hear Martin. Um, well, there are two. He's playing like playing to the feeling of the song, like really sort of investing his banjo playing with what's going on in the song. It's just I think in this track, there was not so super much happening in the song. It was sweet. Well, I here's the thing. Well, first of all, just because you mentioned Paul Simon here, there are true too many uh, songs by Paul Simon which I would also call like sweet simple songs. Um, but no, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this back a little bit because I'm I'm a little bit split. That's not the end of this banjo discussion here. On one hand, yes, I feel a little bit dulled out by the banjo playing. Again, that sleepiness feel. I feel like maybe they could be a little bit more engaging. On the other hand, strangely, I'm a little intrigued by the nuances of his playing style. Even if he's not just you know, dangling shiny things or anything. It, it people don't often think about pe- picking apart the construct of banjo chord voicings. But it is worth noting because banjo players are very unique in that they have a habit of breaking apart every chord into these sort of self-contained solos. Not so much improvisatory solos, there's definitely a clear-cut pattern there. But I think that jumpy freestyling effect is how we get that scatterbrained goofiness that we kind of associate with banjos themselves. Perhaps more so, in my opinion, than the actual timbre of the instrument, which is kind of goofy too. I mean, it's essentially a tambourine with a stick. And and I really enjoyed the way that the uh, sweeping strings were brought in. The very long-held notes, uh, coupled with that that jumping nature, really did a, a great job of adding a little bit of dichotomy. Not a lot, but a little bit of dichotomy. A little bit of extra texture to it that added to the song. But at the same time, I, it was sweet. It was sweet, but it, it really felt like it lacked a personalizing touch. If you're speaking to a close friend, your best friend, this person that really knows you and gets you, and that seems to be what they're trying to express here, the 
it, it just didn't really feel like it was truly personal. It didn't really feel like I was at, they were identifying with it. And I disagree completely, and here's why. Because when you have a best friend and you're singing about them or regaling a story about them, sometimes you need few words because you know each other so well. You're so in step, you're so in sync, you don't have to say much to express exactly how you feel. But but there was nothing specific. I mean, I can understand... And That's what I just said. No, but it felt like these were very generic lyrics when I it disagree. came to describing your friend. I don't think they were friend. generic to the person who wrote them. Yeah. I think it's... And also, you're specific... Well, that could be applied to almost anything, though. I mean, that's the kind of thing... Of course, You are selling it to a mass audience at that point. So, in a sense, even though it is personal to you, it's got you have to have a little bit of... Um, you have to have your audience in mind, perhaps. Right, but my point is, if you're trying to convey this this idea of friendship, you don't need specific instances that happen to Edie specifically. Okay. No, old, I mean, no. There's that old joke, friends will help you move, best friends will help you move a body. Because a best friend is going to be the ones with those really off-the-wall, random, once-in-a-lifetime type of stories that you can reference with a word or two or three and just say it, and boom, you remember the whole darn story. There's no illusions like that. It's just... All the illusions feel like something that you could have with any old friend. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with John on this. It's, it's, it's another one of those... It, it's a very pared down on the lyrical front, so much to the point where I really did not even notice the lyrics. The, the, a lot of this, I, I, was, I was sort of still debating on, on Steve Martin's playing style, and that's kind of where my focus was, interestingly enough, with this. But I will say that I think he plays it pretty cool. So... It, to whatever end, you know, based on this argument we're having right now, playing, his playing very cool because uh, it's a friendship that not few, you know, few words need to be said, as you said, Matt, or to the other end, it's 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 tough. I don't know. It's I really can't can't hone in the lyrics in this song. They did not reach out to me, perhaps in the same way they did to you. I heard songs on friendship that were much more tear jerking than this. I never said it was a tear jerker. Okay. I just said it was no, sweet <laughs> and it's and relatable. Well, no, then I. I can... never felt the urge to cry or like I was intended to. I just thought it was sweet. Okay. Well, then that then and if that's the case, then we are in agreement. The lyrics were sweet, but that was about it on my front. Um, but I just one more thing about that banjo playing. I think um, because he plays it so cool, it could also equate to maybe no frills. Which does kind of throw me back to my first point, my, my gripe here. So I guess we're in kind of Catch-22 territory about his banjo playing style. Um, I do accept this as a much more mature, pared-down, and light-hearted work. This song, and even perhaps as an album as a whole. But yet I'm also searching for substance, at least musically. So if the point is to withhold the latter, that's a little bit of a point off in my opinion, because I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. Okay. If that makes sense. Sure. No, I get, no, I get it. I, I get, I get it. what you're searching I'm for. I'm along the same lines as well. Um, I, I just... Well, this is something that we can go into more detail towards the end in the wrap-up because this is a theme that comes and goes throughout the entire record. Yeah, that's yeah, the big thing. His, his, he varies his banjo playing according to the song usually. So let's, let's move on to... Um, Siamese Cat. Track five, and there's he's really this is he's jumping up with the banjo. There is a marketed change in tone here, definitely significantly more pay, playful. A very I, I, this one is just just pure enjoyment for me listening to the instruments here. I love the the tete a tete that goes on 
with uh, the banjo and the rest of the instruments and uh, that very late but very great fiddle solo towards the end oh. was was just I'll get freaking there. great. I'm not even close. But before to that yet. then, the song itself, just the idea of being so respectfully insultive that Actually, the lyrics come across that way. That I, there's no other way you can say. It, but the way the phrasing turns, the lyrics themselves are just fun and enjoyable. I'll try I to fill that it. out. If I may, I'd like to approach this from a different front because I think the music, this was one of those cases where the music perfectly reflected the lyrics. So just, we're looking at a, at a little bit of a theory standpoint here. I, I think one of the, the shift, again, in tone, it's, it's a little more quicker, it's faster paced, and it has this pleasingly deceptive riff. The banjo is actually played in such a way that you expect the phrase to carry on for another beat or so. And yet it's still tightly written in 4-4. But I love that rhythmic deception there with, within simple meters. It's clearly comedic. And there's comedy in the lyrics too. And along with that, you get the plucked upright bass, which played a little more goofy than it was in the previous. Not so much heartbeat-like, but more, you know, more with the, the twang to it. But again, what's, more, what's even more deception here is the lyrics themselves. So we get, I like your Siamese hat. I like you. Oh, cat. cat. <laughs> Siamese cat. I like your cowboy hat, but I don't like your daughter. With the third line here, we're waiting for that fourth line to fill in the fourth measure. We don't get it. It's, it's a blank. It's essentially left as a blank. So while and the I... music is doing that little jerk, then the lyrics echo it as well to sort of leave you guessing. So it does explain later. Yeah. And I mean, I think, again, this is a subversion of a traditional song type. Yeah. Like, the guy who courts the girl because her dad has lots of cool stuff and he's just going to take her and ride off into the sunset because he likes the cool stuff. Mm. And here is someone who, who sees the person in question for who they truly are and is like, you know, the trappings are swell. I'm going to pass. And here's why. And like, I thought, you know, he, he this, this speaker avoids being a henpecked. Well, I shouldn't even say... In, uh, husband, in blunt like, terms. A henpecked partner because there's also no gender presented at all by the singer, which I loved. But True. But the fact I, of course, you know, speak, the speaker, I interpreted it as such. So I sort of took it as in a, a reluctant stepmom. Oh, and I took it as a courtship gone horribly awry. Interesting. I'm, I mean, uh, I'm courtship, gonna, okay. I, I expected that they were already together and that this is the... Because the, the no. key is the chorus. This is the breakup. I was taking it more right, as... Right, breaking up with the daughter and letting the father know. Or she is breaking up with the daughter. She's breaking the up know. with the husband. No, I was That's looking not... at it more from uh, a surrogate parent figure breaking up with the other parent because the child is such That's a hellion. That's so interesting. I never That's, how, that. I, that's really? how I heard that I one. thought this was so... This was one of the most clear-cut tracks for me. Because it's always <laughs> she... I don't know what you did with her. You have she's got you wrapped around her finger. The whole thing is this song really boils down to, and I love the way it does. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And that's that. That's that missing line. Yeah. That's the missing lines in those verses. There's nothing nice to say about this individual. The daughter so is a spoiled brat. That yeah. is essentially the deal. Right. But it's and never spelled out, out. It's never spelled out who the person in the song is. Like, I never got a parent figure. Like, I got that it was a criticism of, like, the father it's wanted this part. It's a parenting criticism. It's a parenting criticism, but I, what I took away was it's, this is a person who the, the father is hoping to bring into the fold by, by virtue of partnering with the daughter. 
and said person is like, that's a great idea. You have some neat stuff. She's horrifying. You didn't give her any time. Like they, and she specifically sings. Like it's you gave bizarre. her everything but time. I see, I see, it, but I see it, both. it doesn't. It, and I'm leaning. It doesn't Steve. follow to quite as much as I think okay. the stepmom feel to me. I feel like again, if you're talking about on the nose lyrics, and I guess I'm seeing this more as an on the nose kind of thing. Uh, in that, the daughter is a spoiled brat, and for her to step for this. A stepmom in waiting to step into this picture, she'd be going down a a whole barrel of difficulties that she would have to deal with. Essentially, she's saying this is just not worth it. Hence, break up because I have a sense that they were already together because she already knows the daughter very well. Otherwise, this stuff wouldn't come through so vividly. Okay. Um, and yet, as John said, it's not so vivid. It really is the if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. The 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 lyrics themselves kind of dance around it. And, and, and that's why I love the, the yeah. those pauses, those breaks, and just silence vocally in the verses. It really just it it does. It's a great way of telling a joke. In this yeah. case, it's a great little joke, and it's not funny, haha. But it's that. Then funny... it goes back bluntly though, because it also even the, you in the first stanza of the song, you already get. But I don't like your daughter. Yeah. It's it's really blunt in a sense, but you know it's well, it's, in the, it's in the most see what you're saying in I'm the most southern mean. way possible. I know it's 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 respect. Like I said, respectful, insultive nature. This, this is what I love about the South right here. This it's, is this is the southern southern variety of Minnesota nice. This is pure honesty. <laughs> yeah, honesty, Which, honesty within um, within tasteful, friendly <laughs> boundaries. The kind that you can hang in. I think the thing that makes this song stand out the most, though, is clearly, obviously, the lyrics and the story it's telling. It's interesting that something that we, on either side, thought was so straightforward and are still finding multiple stories within a very straightforward on-the-nose song, or so we thought. I still think the comedy is the most important thing here. And, it's that and halting nature. That fiddle solo. Okay, oh, let's okay. get the fiddle, so- fiddle solo here. Because we get a, yeah, yeah, we get a few verses, we get a few choruses, it's nice. Um, although, no, no, actually, no, I'm, I'm, I take I, that back. I'm going song. to. There's it a is good a very banjo fun solo as well. There's a great banjo solo. It's, it's not so much a solo as it's a repeating the riff, but it's much more engaging. And again, I'm, I'm kind of doing a 180 on myself, because the time we get to this track here, I'm so much more on board it fe- with, uh, with Steve Martin's banjo playing. I feel like it's much more engaging. Uh, and again, the comedy here as it reacts to the lyrics. Last line of the verse, she's got you harping like a bullfrog. Go, bullfrog. So it, it cue the solo as part of your lyric. Um, the banjo solo, which is sort of filled out by this rhythm guitar, which takes makes it a much more fun song, because I don't think we really get that too much in the other tracks. Uh, and honestly, the banjo, his his playing style takes some very tasteful yet standout-ish choices here, like stepping into the higher register a couple times in the middle of that solo. Very catchy. And, you know, the chorus, you get the ooh-la-las, there's more harmonies in that. So th- this is a very filled-out song. But that said, even none of that, as awesome as it is, and as much as I do think it trumps many of the other tracks on this album here, nothing quite so takes the, uh, the center stage as that fiddle solo. I'm sorry, but I love that solo. I literally could, I said this before, and I'll say it again, I could do a term paper on what makes this solo so effective. Well, see, not that, just effective. If but... only we knew someone who ran a website where you could write an article about things. You want me to write an article about create, a solo? I'll do it. Do possibly, it. Possibly even create a presentation in written form of the PowerPoint? awesomeness. PowerPoint. Nah, PowerPoint. Right. But maybe maybe just right. purely the written word. I was being incredulous. Like the, you took it too far, John. The written Microsoft <laughs> word. And 
John, stop. I know. A point is, it's it's kind of awesome. Yes. But it, the, the it, part of the reasons for it is because it we 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 really don't get a center stage violin early in this. The violin has really been so background, so so much in it, not in the spotlight at all. It's, it's just kind been, of a rhythm guitar. Eh. It's, Backdrop. It's, it's a there. light comping instrument, essentially. It just lightly glides over most of the lyrics. It, you almost just accept it. It is ambient at that point. And then all of a sudden here, it's it's supremely technical. Yeah, and it really it just shines through the entire song. I yeah. mean, the, like we've all said, the song has is very good up until this point, but then it just takes it to that next level. This said though, it it's makes a, it's it one of the standout tracks. It's a twenty second solo, so I'm not going to pick this apart right here on air uh case in point i'm referring you to it now listen to it and re-listen to it because you could actually learn a lot from this solo um in terms of in soloing imp- improvising itself yeah no i can definitely agree with that in fact for anyone out there who's musically inclined take the solo down and transcribe it transcribe it note for note because that's that is how much i think you could possibly learn from this it's worth it right. i do that with solos every once in a while it's fun Nerd. <laughs> really? What else can you say to that, I guess? Um, let's move on to I track... I wholeheartedly agree. Let's track. move on to track six, uh, one of the shortest tracks on the entire record. It's called uh, Yes, She Did. Um, this is the first time that we get Steve Martin doing some vocals on the album. Really standout-ish vocals, at least. He, he comps with um, with Edie Brickell in the choruses on this song. Um, it's a very short song um, and very straightforward, but I think the... Do I want to use the word brevity? Is that the right word? That is the right word. Good. Yeah. I was having a John moment. Yeah. Um, Why not? Bre- the brevity of the song really sells it. Because I think if the song went on, it's one of those songs that could have gone, I feel like they could have looped it, creating new verses over and over. I wrote that exact thing down. I've used the word ad nauseum without any negative connotations. This is a song that once you start, you don't have to stop. Because it's just fun. And you can keep making up fantastical things about what she, in fact, did. And the reason for that Although is because most of it is triplets. You just get triplet, 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 triplet. You could probably count this song in 12-8, in, in four, four groups of three. Um, and that's kind of what makes it unique in the span of this album because it's a rhythm that you haven't gotten yet. I think this is a nice juxtaposition, too, because it's such a peppy that's little it. tune. That's exactly it. And it is all about criticizing a woman who has killed herself and abandoned her children to an abusive spouse. Precisely. And it is the peppiest tune on this album, I think, in certain ways. And it's like, or certainly it's a very driving tune. Yes, it is a driving tune. That's exactly and, it. And, you know, it's funny, like, it's interesting to to figure out how those things are going to play. Like, the Wasties, we did a number at one point that was about an abusive relationship. And it just, and, and horrible things that befell the person singing the song and it was like you could hear a pin drop like people Mm. have an interesting threshold for listening to this stuff and this is the most straightforward criticism of the person who gave up and like and left her kids Mm. a lot of other stuff in this album really sort of subverts the power structure and Mm. this felt pretty straightforward that's oh no you can keep going that said, musically speaking, um, the note I have is I will follow Steve Martin anywhere just on the basis of his banjo playing in this song. Interesting. <laughs> well, again, that's that 12-8 feel. It is a very, as you said in the beginning, it's driving. Um, it, it's, he really does not skip a beat in terms, of, uh, in terms of style here. And I think that the song really um, is a unique perspective also because typically when dealing with suicide, it's very much... 
you know, obviously, when people take their own life, you tend to feel bad, especially if, if it's sudden or it's a friend. But in this case, they're not letting this person off the hook. Because the, even though they killed themselves, they left their children to a terrible life. And she also gave up on living. They and, sing that a yeah. lot. Yeah. And, and, it, and, and it's true. You know, a lot of suicide is, you know, on one hand, of course, you do feel sorry for the person who took their own life. But depending on the situation, there is a lot of, well, they gave up. They ran. It's the ultimate run is I can't deal with it so I'm running by taking my own life and it's the ultimate wuss move <laughs> yep in a very uh, colloquial term not the word I was going to use but sure why not we'll go with it my point is it's, it's an interesting take on singing about suicide because it's not something I can say I've heard before that well is, I've heard that before and I've actually heard it in bluegrass to take maybe not suicide per se but extremely depressing and put them with an upbeat uh not just bluegrass, but just folk in general, because of of a lot of playing styles, you can sing about really depressing things, and make them fast paced and make them with a, a a a high rhythm, high energy, and things like that, and it's cathartic in a way. I think Sarah pretty much. And punk music is a great example of that, and uh, something out of left field. And thank you for that. I like that. But just just yes. It is a very depressing thing that they're singing about. I don't feel any of the actual depression. Even going through the lyrics and listening to the lyrics, reading along, I, don't, I just feel that. To. Oh, but exactly. it's also... That's my point. It's supposed to be uh, a, more of a cathartic release as opposed to a depressing dirge. It's all so clear, though. It's so vivid. And that's why you made an interesting point when you said that people have an interest... have a, a quite a threshold for i think taking these kind of lyrics in especially uh to this i think it was appropriate i think it was very appropriate i mean again that that 12 8 very fast-paced moving platform is is ideal for setting across these lyrics because you don't hesitate at all they immediately grab you and you're not also you're also not in it for very long it's sort of yeah, like it's brief. Here you want another out of left field it's like the new york neo futurists they do 30 plays in 60 minutes and their thing is if you don't like this one it'll be over in a few minutes or a few seconds like there you go. they're they're hitting you something really heavy and i think it's the shortest track isn't it yes. yeah yeah a minute and 35 seconds they hit told. heavy they hit hard and yeah and they're out that's it the next track is my favorite one of my favorites so the next track is Sarah Jane and the Iron Mountain Baby, which I found out today is actually based on a true story. It is. The song is about Sarah Jane Knight Helms. Um, it's, this is about a true story about um, William Moses Gould Helms, who was adopted um, by the Helms family when he was six. Um, I believe William Helms had found him. Um, he'd been flung from a train in 1902 and was found in a valise. It was a 50-foot drop. He had some, like, he was bruised and had a dent, they said, in his head, but, like, grew up, was adopted by this family and lived a sort of, as quiet as possible a life. Um, I found a thing online that said he was on a train exactly twice in his life, five days after his birth, when he was flung from the train, and immediately after his death, he was put on a train to be interred. And he avoided, and I gotta say, if, if I had learned Jeez. that I was flung from a train, I might never want to ride on them either. Anyway, that said, um, I loved this whole song, and I loved so much that it takes the woman's perspective for possibly the first time, because the song that was written in 1902 is all about her husband who finds the baby, mm. and never mentions her. And mm. this is all about, like, raise this kid, bring up this kid, and it's... 
Well, why would the 1902 uh, song have taken that route? Just because, because father figure? Of, because of course the woman was going to raise the baby because her husband told her so. So what was that? Con- there was no consequence. Why? Why mention her? The hero of the story was the man who found her. The man who found him, rather. Like. Okay. I. Th- I mean, anyway, I. When in doubt, I usually go because they didn't care. Um, mm. which is often what happened. Well, but just listening to this song, it, it was fantastical. The actual story and the fact that it's based off a, a, a true happenings is even more fantastical because just just thinking of old school uh, uh, tall tales, Americanized tales, the sort of folk tale, not the songs, but the actual, the, the typical kind of Western idea or the typical kind of frontier idea of a story. Just think about, yes, he was found in a piece of luggage after a 50-foot drop. That feels like you're setting up a Paul Bunyan-esque kind of a character. Right, and that's a tall tale. <laughs> Very and, much that idea. Yet. The fact that it's a, uh, an actual true story is, is what actually brings it to the next level of that kind of a tale. This is a true happenings of larger than life. It, it coupled with, and it really does have a very train-oriented type of uh, rhythm going to it, a very much a chugging rhythm to it from and the vocal train whistles yeah the woo woo which is (laughs) a loving woo woo if anything it's a combination of that 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 cooing noise you would give a child plus a choo-choo train noise well the song is sung as if the mom is singing to the baby and And it's very much a it becomes a very much a lullaby story to tell you song but it happens to be about you and this horrible way we found you but that we did and it's got a combination of a bunch of different ideas that do, that really do make something that's a little bit more unique, taste-wise. That I really enjoyed it. Um, still not my favorite. That that's still off it's, the cover. But. but we're we're really in the renaissance of this record. It really has from Siamese Cat moving forward. It really took on another level besides just another bluegrass folk Americana record. It's going somewhere else. And the fact that they took a true story. And turned it into almost a um, lullaby-esque song to sing your your child to sleep, but still convey the reality of this story and the, the harsh beginnings of this child is very much a unique, interesting, and wonderful perspective to the song. I took it's so funny because I took something so different away from it. I think from what you guys did, which is that like it doesn't strike me as a lullaby so much as it's like um, a celebration of the mother. The, the adoptive mother and that it is like maybe like that if it's sung to the child it's more of like a celebration than a calming thing that like, I'm thinking no I see it at lullaby is not I, I'm not using it as just I, I'm not speaking for Storm here but I think he's using it the same way I am it's a proclamation of love of maybe not a child. lullaby as in lulling the that, baby but as in a proclamation of this is why you're here I love you it's a love it's, song, yeah. mother to son. That's yeah. exactly how I interpreted it. And not and really, also but I don't a see yay this... Sarah Jane. That's what I loved about it too. You see that that's no. like an incidental point for me. Celebrating the mother, I don't even think she wants to be celebrated or needs to be celebrated. She has no desire to feel like a hero, even though in some respects she is in this song. It's humble in that way not celebratory well, what, well, but what, it has humbling why are you assuming that. that she doesn't want anyone to know what she did i don't think she desires anybody but why? the child to be, because 
that would be true altruism in this okay. case. And that's what I'm seeing here. This See. is her love to child. And I, I, I feel actually like it's remarkable... interpret it directly as altruistic. I think it's a remarkable circumstance because basically her husband handed her a baby and said, here, raise him. And but like, the way every it, it's it's the way the verses end of her cooing to the child, okay, as opposed to ending with them going yay Sarah Jane, they start yay Sarah Jane and then it kind of devolves into her just, I love you, I, I had to I've, raise I you, think, I've, screw that. I think what John's trying to say is not so much that the, that she doesn't want to be celebrated, but that she doesn't care if she's celebrated. She all she cares about is this baby she's fallen in love with and this child she wants to raise. Okay. That's what takes priority to her. Is how it sounds. The Which way is, she's singing to him. That that to me is really just something the true beautiful. love of That's another beautiful. child. That's just beautiful. In response to that, I, I'm going to be the heart of stone music texture guy here and talk about some other elements that I noticed. No. For instance, yeah, we're doing it. We have to switch gears here. Don't worry. One it. of those things is her southern accent. Uh, it was. It was at its peak, I think, in this song. And again, that really rapid-fire uh, manner of singing also lends to that, that train feel right there. And uh, it, speaking that southern accent, they, the, certain phrases have such a bell curve to them. Uh, right at the end of these phrases, they end and they just swoop down, go right back up again. That, that is so southern. Like, it's almost a trope at this point, and yet it, I enjoy it. I enjoy it for the fact that it seems to be more and more exaggerated. I accept this as more of a tall tale because the tall tales are all about the tropes and everything. And yet it is a true story, and that's what ex that's what makes it kind of perfect. That there's some irony there in the manner in which it's sung. Uh, beyond that, pff, I was honestly a little bit more interested in the interludes in the song, I think, than I was in the indie verses. Again, from a musical standpoint, I think that's when the other instruments got to shine. I know it's not necessarily the point in the song, but it, it, it adds a little more for me on the musical front. Or frontier, as you will, as it's a train. Thank, thank you for not ruining for it for me. And I'm not being sarcastic. Thank you for not hating on it. No, I didn't Why hate it. Why would he hate on it? He said he I just it. liked it for some other reasons. The story is sort of... I can, I can gloss over the story a little bit. I uh, know it's very engaging, but I can gloss over it and I, look, I can look to other things here. I thought it was going to be level. all like, oh no, you, it was it was terrible instruments and they were mean. Your Steve impression needs work. The next two and songs I don't, it doesn't need that pretty much. bad. <laughs> the next yeah. one... The next two songs are so sad to me. The next, okay. Track 8, Fighter. For as much as I, I really enjoyed Love Has Come For You and Sarah Jane and the Iron Mountain Baby, Fighter may take the cake for me because this is the one that I, I probably connected to most emotionally. Which... I think it's more just from point of view at that point. Because of something they did, which was um, infused modern... Well, I don't know how to phrase it. I'll take it. this if you want. Thank you, please. Yeah, it's running away from me. The interesting thing here is that they're blending the really old with the really new. In fact, going both back in time and forward in time at the same time. time. Because, mm. of course, this is really kind of a, a status quo album. They're... It's Americana. It's pretty straightforward. There's not very much modern infusion as we've had so far. Um, but yet, the chord progressions right here in the beginning... Well, first of all, you get more of a mo modern sound. But yet, the chord progression itself is almost like that of a Renaissance era. You hear these perfect cadences like you'd find in something... Mm, probably not church-oriented, but at least secular in like the 1500s about. And yet, there's this dark twist on that perfect cadence there. The dark twist is 
is infused by a new instrument. The real, the real reason why we interpret this as modern is because of a new instrument. There's an electric, electric piano, whatever you want to call it, almost as a Mellotron feel, but it's a general synth there. And it blends so well with the upright bass that it creates this sort of swooning back and forth, and yet it's, it's an unreal sound. It's, it's something very, very fresh and modern. It's see to me it sounded like Sandy Denny Fairport Convention like in the early seventies. Groove, yeah. Groove was the first but word like that English, came to mind. It was a very English groove to me. Yeah, oh, yeah I, I definitely was. see that, something like that. That's the Renaissance that. right there. We... But it's it's dark but sultry. There's a combination of of definite a little bit of anger, definite uh, some sadness, but also a little bit of sexual tension even, which is also something that's not really been here. There's been some love, but not that more dangerous desire in this album. And that's here. That is just extremely refreshing. And it's got very, very moving lyrics for me. With it's, It starts with, what's it going to be when the enemy, when he tries to get in your head? It's a long, lonely night. When you tell him no and you tell him to go, and he shows you pictures instead, it's a long, lonely night. Only fight. Oh, fight, excuse me. You know, these it's called are, fighter and whatnot. These these are shaded meanings. These are something that I can really start picking apart. And it's something that is, like we said before, it's kind of missing from Bluegrass itself. At times, don't don't shake your head at me, at times. I mean, you get very straightforward lyrics for the most part. Having double entendres is not, you know, a norm. This is like every bad date that women in the modern era go on, like the first verse. I think. Yes. It's, it's, I said no, and I was ignored. But it's not on the nose. It's not a clear cut presentation of it. No, 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 but it's, but it's that, it's super relatable. Yes, but I'm saying it's, it's not clear cut. It is, it has mystique to it in its actual wordplay, which is something that will always draw me I think there was mystique in her voice as well. Uh, interestingly enough, I was more engaged in in her voice in this track than many others. Not to say that I wasn't, because I've already marked several elements there that I like. You know, like, okay, I like the accent here. I like the lilts in certain phrases. But this, it's just, the whole... It, it, it seemed to fit the lyrics more appropriately. I, I guess I, I started to hone in on her voice more so than the instruments. That was a little bit rare. Well, this song definitely conveyed a sense of personal struggle. It's, it's probably the most clear time where especially in that first verse, and even more so in the, the subsequent verses, you get this feel of she's singing from either a very personal experience from her or someone she knows, but still conveying it as if it's her own. It really is an empowerment track in the end. Uh, second verse, let's throw it in. When you let her in, thought she was a friend, and you find she's no friend at all. It's a hard, lonely time. And you let her see every little thing in your heart, a clear crystal ball. It's a hard, lonely fight. It's very heart-wrenching you feel kind of the, the struggle the arduous process here and it's it's present in the music it really really is um there's something again about that that particular chord progression there it you actually get the sense that it's some sort of troubadour singing about his travels you know i see that here despite that it's with the modern touch perfect perfect well, blend travels, of music. because i feel like that that well, second first verse ver- is very much about really i mean it's completely relatable to me in terms of like the first verse I mentioned, like sounding like a lot of bad dates, and the second one, trust it. Like women have an issue, I feel like, <laughs> with trusting one another, 
and there's a lot of backstabbing, that's a super general statement, but, like, the idea of bearing your soul to someone, although I suppose, like, are you, are you hearing it like it's another romantic encounter? Um, I, I would imagine that it can be taken in multiple ways. The first one would be possibly confidant to confidant or an over-aggressive date partner. Uh, the second verse would be a, a now from the over-aggressive female from a male's perspective or confidant to confidant. I could see this being played out either way, depending on how you're going to take certain words and their double meanings. Uh, what kind of a fight are you talking about here at the end of verse 2? It, why is it a lonely time? Is it because you're not sharing your life with someone? or is it because you can't you trust just... the person you chose to share things with. But what are you sharing with them? And who is she? Is they she... say every... She says every part, right? What are you talking about? Wait, wait, oh, wait. And you, let, you, let you, and you let her see every little thing. Yep. So yes. So I think that's discovering that you picked the wrong person. For a friend? For a lover? For, for what? For any sort of companionship. And that's what it's I'm saying. It could be... It, it's, it's, it's just the, about the interactions of people. So it can speak on multiple layers. And because it's not... Well, no, this is... I, I can't trust my girl. I can't trust my wife. I can't trust my husband. I do I believe it, it It crosses spectrums. I don't think there's anything about this, this song uh, it's in just, a general sense that really isolates it to, uh, to female plight, necessarily. I mean, no, I it, really, fair. it's just I mean, the voice that would give the impression. That's it's, true. And that, that's really fair, and it's also like I like to get away from the overtly heteronormative, like... The things that could be about anyone, right, across the spectrum. I mean, I, I I'm totally down with that. At the same time, you know, I, I can't I can't overlook it. And actually, we had this discussion early before the podcast as to whether you know something is is subtle or not here and or or on the nose. And I don't know. I feel like there's a little more of an on the nose nature with this album. And yet, it this in this particular one, I'm getting a broad a broad vibe. And it's because of that that uh, subtle nature that I just. I, I can put so many different ideas and emotions into it, and that's why this is my favorite song. That's why that that groovy darkness, that sultry nature, that danger associated, plus the not really quite knowing what's going on, it's just coming together as, as my favorite piece on this whole album. I'll add one more thing here. I like the way she plays around with alliteration in a slight sense here. For instance... Got no one to keep you warm, and the way she sings that with the when when I sing it in my plain podcasting all American white accent right here, you're not really picking it up. But in the southern accent, that one and warm sound almost the same. So it it, it plays with alliteration almost in a in a in a rap like sense here in this track, which is almost overstating it. But yet, when you look at the the meter that she has here, um, and her country folk background i think uh i don't think that's any accident very clever wordplay uh moving on to track nine um which is the second half of this um darker turn for the record is king of boys um the the first thing i really noticed about this song is that the bass hits probably its deepest resonance resonance in this song and it really does give a sense for this song that that kind of really pushes forward the dark lyrics that go with and it. The banjo part's really spare in this arrangement as well. 
the banjo is very spare. And uh, yes, actually, when you said um, at the bass, that was something I, I I may have misspoke about the previous track. That 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 waning in and out. I believe that was more much more prevalent in this track than it was in the last. Combining the upright bass. Uh, with that synth, with that electronic piano. And Another thing here, really, really quickly, uh, just in the opening chord progression, I, it took it, it took a step completely outside what I've been getting so far here, which is sort of these, you know, rounded out four chord progressions that kind of fit a basic folk uh, dynamic, and yet we get this... C major opening. After after the banjo moves around a little bit, yes, it is kind of soft, but we go from C major to E minor and then to G minor 7. So sort of go, hovering on that mixolydian there, totally unlike uh, the genre. Very untypical for any bl sort of bluegrass to take that sort of modal turn. So I found it riveting. Again, just because it's so different from anything else that had come before it. And this is another song where we have a song created and based in a true story yeah yeah it's about the discovery of the mold cape mold i think being the town not the condition of the cape but uh, a gold cape found in mold wales in 1833 um and originally it was broken up it sounds like by the people who discovered it and sold and eventually purchased by the british museum and reassembled there mm. so it also gets into agency and ownership from a nationalist perspective because Wales is a part of the United Kingdom, but that I think has been a really contentious relationship. It's been contentious, perhaps somewhat less contentious than the Northern Ireland relationship. As are many Scott, things, but, but there's a line yeah. in the song that yes. says he's like it's been sold for British for English pounds. Like it's not just that it's gone; it's who it went to. Like there's this moment in the song of like, yeah, it's gone there. <laughs> yeah, well. It's almost like the uh, bought Manhattan for 26 bucks <laughs> kind of feel. You, know, you never heard that? No. Well, that's supposedly what we purchased Manhattan from the native Algonquins. And by we, he means the New Amsterdam colony. Yeah. Yes, we. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. the colony. I'm not even Dutch. But yeah, I was going to say the none of us here. <laughs> none of us here. Okay. You're well, not Caucasian. We owe an allegiance to that, to that exact um, uh, transaction. In any case, I that, think it's a similar feel here. Yeah, the... I Going back say, hundreds of years. And I want to say that even with the fact that they're using a synthesizer to fool around with this bass, it has a really deep kind of well. That's the first thing that comes to mind. A well. A real dark expansion in the ground, old kind of a feel to it. Which is the idea that to, to convey this, this environment where a, ca a cape was found underground, and that definitely is conveyed here. And... Uh, here's another part where the vocals are just getting... It, it's another part where inflection becomes everything for me. Uh, with lines that... It's all about tempo. They took everything you had. And the way she draws those last two syllables just, uh, without screaming, yells at me uh, a, a deep, pining kind of a feel that I just thoroughly love. And really cement that that darker nature that's coming across in this song. You reminded me of, there's a Seamus Heaney poem I'm not going to remember properly, um, about the people that were found in the bogs that had been, um, I think maybe like victims of some sort of pre, like early history ritual sacrifice. But like, there's so, there's so much curiosity and so little knowledge about the people who lived those lives. Like this, 
was clearly someone who was a valued community member in some respect and we like and and everything is stripped away by the removal of this precious object anyway it's a weird comparison but it, re- it did remind me of that, Shimasini. that's okay john makes terrible uh not terrible but weird comparisons all the time ah uh, terrible might be appropriate and you should wait for some of my metaphors to really start commenting all right <laughs> Um, let's move on to the uh, next track, track 10, which is Sun's Gonna Shine, S-U-N apostrophe S. Which is my favorite track other than Sarah Jane. Um, it sounds like a sort of country seat hymn almost. Like you could be at a revival tent meeting and you've been hearing this. It also has a sort of classic Edie Brickell soprano lilt. The way she kind of glides over the top of certain notes is a thing that she's always... Like, it's characteristic of her voice. I definitely picked up on that. Um, and, like, I liked the, the musical break and the really sort of hopeful outro. And that's where it it, it kind of... It didn't fall apart or anything to that extent. Not nearly as close, but it feel like this song has two minds about what it's trying to accomplish. Because the verse work is very much the you're too good for me kind of idea and the choruses are so playful and hopeful and so empowering but i don't see them actually flowing uh, lyrically or or ideally from one to the next it's it's kind of a break for me can we hear i don't that? understand the empowering like where how she's going from so long sweet embrace so long summertime to yay I see i don't think it's about <laughs> thinking she's not good enough so much is like she's experienced a loss and it's painful to her and she's convincing herself that it's going to get better i i just don't see that i i I, this one was a little bit more on the nose of you're this you're this you're this i'm not good enough because that's how the that's how the verses were sort of set up for me so i was taking it as that i uh, that that sort of ideal and it just it just I just couldn't I couldn't stay within it when the when it went from verse to chorus. It was too much of a flip-flop emotionally for me to stay through the song. Well, this went back to a very um a more basic Americana format for me, I think. A much more standard, especially after what we'd had here in the middle of the album. Kind of what we're familiar with so far. The strings join in, they add a little bit of depth. It's a little bit more of a country feel here. You got the shakers, you got the light drum. So it is uplifting. I mean, the sun is going to shine, but I guess in the end it was a little bit weak. It's it's weak in as much as an uplifting track is just sort of straightforward. So this goes back to kind of being on the nose. I enjoyed it. It's very sweet. I can't say much more about it on that front. I totally had a different experience of the song. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I think it's true for the, a lot of this album. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um... Yeah, it's all about kind of what you take away from it, especially if you're looking for an up... I mean, did you at least... You found it uplifting in that sense. I did find it uplifting, and also almost spiritual slash religious. Like, oh, I'm saying, I can easily it, see that. It sounds like a revival tent meeting, that, like, you can describe the litany of your woes, and mm. there's still some sort of light at the end of your tunnel. That's how I interpreted it. I think what the, the well. disconnect John has from it is that you saw two disjointed emotions that were separate whereas they were actually one and the same well i definitely got the spiritual thing there i feel like that's sort of it, it had that, that's sort of an umbrella here again over much of uh, folk americana because that was 
pretty much in a lot of what they did. They were very, you know, faith-oriented towns and communities and whatnot. And maybe even that, 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 that spin on the uplifting, exactly what you described, Sarah, that spin on, on the uplifting uh, spiritual promotion, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I'm a little bit familiar with that. Maybe, again, I had a Christian upbringing. Maybe that has something to do with it. It's, it's, it's not necessarily something new and, and slapping me in the face here. It's, it's, it's the pickup on an album that I find in, in, in many albums across the board. There's, there's, a, there's always that moment, that light at the end of the tunnel moment. It's not a bad thing. And it's a good thing, and I don't dislike this track. It's just not a standoutish moment for the album, in my opinion. I, I think that for me, I mean, it's definitely not in any way my favorite track on the record. But I did, I did have an, a struggle in the beginning of being able to tell whether it was on uplifting or not. But as I got towards the end, it was very much the story of this pain, this terrible loss happened to me. I'm suffering because I'm this, I'm that. It's the 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 idea of a self degradation to get you through. But then you realize, regardless of what I say about myself or said about me or said about someone else, there's still the sun's going to shine. Well, there's still going to be a tomorrow. That is true. You're making a point in that I can see someone going into this because I've had this experience before when people look at uplifting or what I would perceive to be sort of just you know blatant uplifting tracks, seeing the negative as a sort of positive in the end. Lots of people don't see it that way. They come across you know a song like this and wow man how depressing. Despite the sun's going to shine aspect, they're focusing on the lyrics that are just focusing on the. Um, that's what on I'm the doing. Bad stuff. No, that's what I'm doing. That's and I think basically that's, what I, that's, that's basically the hookup on this for me. Interesting. Because it feels like they're just going too depressing. How do you, at this point, some of the things that are going, why would you even think that the sun's going to shine again? Because because the idea that you can still see this the light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, no, that's, I'm that's the whole thing. This is semantics for me. This is the semantics for me. There's no <laughs> reason... In any of the explanations for the sun to continue shining, I know it's going to shine. It's something that does happen. This is a song of a person with faith. Yeah, that's that's what it is. It it's a the disconnect. That's I think John is that's essentially yeah. the the faith maxim is yeah. that believe no matter what. Despair, I believe, throughout the Middle Ages was considered the worst sin. It was worse than murder. It was worse than anything else. If it, in that, if you despaired and if you lost your faith at any particular moment, that's that that's just. You can't go below that. And that's from coming from a medieval philosophy. But that persisted throughout a lot of early Americana. You know? Sure. So, yeah. I, okay, I, you know, I easily see where it's coming from. And that's something I don't really identify with. So I could definitely so see that why makes I'm not sense. getting it. That would make sense for your disconnect. Fair but enough. then again, I'm... I'm I, still I, can't, I still thought, I can't at least be... from an American history standpoint, I mean, you know... There, I didn't, well, I didn't think know, that would be lost on you. I don't know that much America. I didn't think I didn't put two and two together and get four in this case. I got history, but um, like I I can't be the only one that doesn't have that uh, that that won't be able to make. No, that of course not. I mean, you know what? No, all right, I'm gonna, I'm going to try and just be the moderator to sort of end this discussion. Yeah, here. in this, there you could both be right in that sense. I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt here, John. In that, yeah, maybe there really is no light at the end of the tunnel in a realistic view but it's important that she says it it's important that the message comes across because belief in the end that's what it comes down to in the end and then going over to your point sarah that that itself is sort of the that that is another level here that is a little bit subversive that's that's not exactly on the face this is not an on the nose track in that case because you kind of have to see it in a certain way um 
If you don't, well, then eh, maybe this track just isn't for you. But it does have that level going for it. So, that layer, excuse me. Thank you. I think I made everybody happy. Anyway, track 11. <laughs> who you, wh- what are you going to take? Who are no, you, you going to take? I'm sorry. Who are you going to take? take? Not okay. who are you going to call, but who are you going to take? Exactly. Um, um, so, this is a song where, for me, lyrically, I didn't really... I didn't really attach to it except in one specific lyric towards the end of the song, and we'll come to that. But the instrumentation on this track, however, I did enjoy a lot. I think that there was a lot going on, and this is clearly... Uh, I, this this track felt theatrical, and we'll speak to that a bit. And I think that's kind of what was the thing that engaged me most, is that it had this kind of theatrical feel, even though the lyrics kind of left me wanting. I I was... I felt... And this is a negative. I felt this track was a little obnoxious. In its, uh, um, in what was going on here. Just, just the idea of, you're gonna take to the dance. You're gonna take if you don't take me. You're gonna take to the dance. You're gonna take. It's the most musical theater ready song. But it's, I'm so between you two, it's not even funny. (laughs) It's so needy. I am like dead center. That's word, no, but it, I can. Weren't you like that at all when you were a kid? This is not being sung by a grown person. This is this is this really, is a... this is really, high school. Yeah, it's really yeah. high school. It's really high school. I, and I think it's deliberately really high school. And I think that like so they're talk they're turning the they're turning their work together into a musical that features some of the songs off this album, and I feel like this is going to be one of those songs because I can visualize the choreography, and I can visualize that as well. But I can visualize a couple of different situations. Some of them, it would be, it could be very impactful. It could really speak to uh, a, a, a point in a relationship where you don't know where you stand and it, you're trying to figure it out. But it could also speak to, you know, the girlfriend who just, or the ex who you, you broke up with because she is this needy individual you don't want to be with. It can be taken multiple ways. And I just, without the visuals... I don't enjoy it as much. May, I couldn't enjoy I this much. No, not <laughs> yet. It's. I think this one it really would do well to have a visual along with it, and that's that's the main point I want to get across here. Without that, I just I can't really get into it. I think there's a clear visual here, and the visual is is what I feel like is been neglected to mention because. I, I just I think both of you in this instance are just taking the song a little bit too seriously. I th- I think in the end of the day, this really has the same exact uh, construct, the same feel as "Get Along, Stray Dog," the very second track. This is a dance number. I really don't think these lyrics are that complex. Uh, whether you view them as an immature theme, and I I kind of am leaning toward uh, Sarah's idea that this is an immature theme. Of course, it's immature. Who you gonna take to the dance? You gonna take to the dance? But th- the whole point of it being that so face value, in my opinion, there is just so the music can take center stage. It's also you can theatrical tease. is is overstating it to me, to be honest. Well, I'm just saying it's going to become a musical, and I figured this is going to be in it like very much, <laughs> because it's it sounds sort of stage worthy, not that if it's complicated, but I mean, these sound like directions to uh, you know. This is this is. A character. I mean, I can lay it all out for you if you want, but it's like I can. See... You're more than welcome, but <laughs> I, I will superimpose. Put your right foot forward. Put your left foot back. A lot of it, I feel like, 
I'm not saying that that is really what the lyrics are. I think it's are. teasing. It's if it's satirical, teasing. Teasing. it's one but that's way. playfulness that you find on a dance floor. It's not satirical. Floor. If, it's, if, it's, if it's... Teasing. I think it's yeah. someone teasing. If, that, but... that teasing, that playfulness is what you find on a dance floor to begin with. And again, I, I, we can't overlook the music here. The music is really upbeat. It is essentially the square dance framework. It is a dance. I can't see this as anything else. The and the the fact that the lyrics repeat so much really really lends to that. Okay. Who are you gonna take to the dance? Who are you gonna take if you don't take me? Who are you gonna take to the dance? Who are you gonna take? It's got that meter to it. It is meant to be danced to, and the lyrics are just kind of an afterthought. You can follow the narrative, but you'll have it down in just seconds. Seconds. In my opinion. I think that. There are different aspects that can be found in the song, but I mostly just want to highlight one of my favorite lyrics on the album, and they came from a song where I didn't really follow the lyrics that much. You are. And it's, it's why pick up every shiny penny when there's a heart of gold here in front of you, or right in front of you. I, didn't, I don't know that I wrote it down correctly. But it's that idea that you know, you're picking that person, but that person's not the right person I am, right here. Those other pennies that you're wasting your time with, they're not me. I'm the one that has value. And I agree. That is like that is the shining beacon in this track, as far as really, really good wordplay here. Um, and even you know what, I picked that up in the final stanza. When are you going to wake up and open your eyes? When are you going to wake up and see the light? You know, it's kind of like waiting around for for nothing almost. Yeah, it's definitely got one of those. Yeah. It's definitely I I can't see it as anything else but a young love or a high school love kind of back and forth teasing yeah, but almost. But that is exactly the depth of, of thought that you would find in any dance number, essentially. Yeah, it has the, the, the it's still musical theater number. written all over it. Yeah. There's, there's, <laughs> musical there's, theater, I wouldn't say that. But I've got whatever. like four different ways this song could be taken, and I kind of want to see them four. actually you did take, yes. <laughs> uh, the teasing way, I definitely see that. Um, more of a internal soliloquy for a, uh, 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 a student who can't express her feelings, or his feelings, probably her, um, only because I think it actually takes it from the female point of view. Um, Again, we the serious, you want to get rid of her kind of a way, and I can't really explain the fourth way, I'm still puzzling that one out. I feel like doing all of them together would probably be you were just scene. adding more layers to make me mad <laughs> a little bit but i feel like this is one that you could actually present in multiple ways at once and now because i think we're beating this one ted oh we are shawnee shawnee i like the emphasis on the e shawnee makes me sad <laughs> it's shawnee supposed to make you yeah. sad but it has a little bit of wit in there that i do enjoy there's no, like, I mean, I, the agency's been a big, oh, sorry, I'm cutting you off. No, you weren't. Agency's been a big thing for me in this album, and, like, what's so sad about this song is that the singer has none. That the, that the singer is powerless in this horrible, like, uncomfortable situation because her protector isn't there. Well, let's take this uh, at its, uh, at what it's worth. Shawnee, when are you going to come back? Shawnee, when are you going to settle down? We were all talking at the family picnic, eating fried chicken sitting on a blanket. Shawnee, you don't know how I miss you. Shawnee, I just want to be with you. You know my creepy cousin with the handlebar mustache? He opened up a cold one and he sat on my lap. Shawnee, in only, if only you had been there. Shawnee, he would have got his own chair. Shawnee, when you come home. Shawnee, I'm just feeling so alone. And 
then it sort of repeats from there on. Yeah. It's, it is. This is more on the sad front. Um, and yet it had quite a groove to it. That's sort of ironic. It, it had great drums, yeah. It really did. It's just one of those songs where it just does seem curious. I mean, there was a lot of very much... I mean, all of the songs were very powerful. Regardless of what perspective or where they were coming from or what they were talking about, there was a power behind the singer, the singer's voice, and the instrumentation. And this seemed very much just, I'm in this situation, and there's nothing I can do about it, and you're the only one who can save me. And it's just, yeah. it just seems so out of place from everything else on the record. It just doesn't feel like it belongs with the the at least overarching feel and narrative. Empowerment yeah, because yes. I mean, it's not necessarily about. I mean, yes, there are a lot of moments on this record where a woman is empowered, but there are a, a lot of moments on this record where it's just talking about empowerment and taking care of yourself and and breaking the norm. And this song just falls right into the norm, and it just seems so out of place. It's more of a. It's interesting. I, I would even say that it's it's this album is a little bit more of the idea of the meek. What do you mean? The meek retaking their world, to some extent. Not necessarily men, women, children, anybody, but just those who you would think don't have the power actually showing it where they do. In a, a huge variety of ways. Layman's turn promoting the little man. Yes. Yeah. I know that's definitely it throughout. It's standing up for every, yourself. You could find that nearly every track. Which is why, yeah, Shawnee is a real oddball to have here. It it doesn't quite... It doesn't have... It really has nothing to do with that theme, which was really strong. Like, really strong. And the fact that the lyrics are almost even satirical and, like, intentionally humorous. Like, the line about the handlebar mustache, there's humor in that. It's not supposed to be taken seriously, and yet it just seems... It still, again, seems so out of place. It's just such a goofy lyric. I think it's just descriptive of the person who's the aggressor. I mean, maybe I'm being too literal. It's just the handlebar, like... It's the way she sings it, the inflection in that line. She makes so light of this song and the situation, it only adds to this removal of power that doesn't make any sense for the record. I think the lyrics are saying in a way that make it is trying to make light of the situation. Yeah, it's not that cousin with the mustache, that creepy cousin with the mustache. It's just how it's worded, and it just, it, it, it essentially removes all the power from the song, and I just, I just the, don't like it. On the flip like side, it. though, I think uh, Steve Martin's banjo chops were at their peak here. Uh, this is a very, very fast-paced song, and mm -hmm. I think it was pretty mad finger play. Terrific musically. Yeah. Yeah, just lyrically and theme-wise, it, it fell short. All right, and that takes us to the final track, Remember Me This Way. Vintage Edie Brickell. Vintage, huh? She does a lot of... She, she's good at sad and poetic things. And I feel like this is a lot of mournful wishing. Um, it, it reminds me of something, and I can't remember... Like, I, can't, I feel like one of her songs, and I can't remember what. But um, it's, it's an interesting... It's the most directly about owning the way we're seen and, and needing to rewrite our less satisfactory narratives... <laughs> Um, I get the impression there's tragic circumstances or disappointing circumstances. And, and I think it's interesting that this song is like a plea and a prayer and that it's closing out the album. Um, yeah, this song, this song, for all the negative connotations associated with this word, vanity is the most appropriate for me because this is about your, uh, this, this individual's perception to someone he or she loves. 
and it's not but it's, it's so heartfelt and it's not just remember me beautiful remember me happy no it's remember me with my friend not lover not husband not wife but with someone who's close remember me in front of our house remember me in such a way where it's just remembering the good times and it's that it's that desire to remain that object of of joy that object of merriment in that memory that that really does an, an amazing job of implying that real something tragic happened without speaking to any tragedy yeah there's definite there's definite delusion in that i think and yet it is it does tend to be how we react to people that we may even have had some gripes against during our lifetime there's always that point where once they're gone you do try to focus on the good because it's really all you can do at that point so it, yeah it's it's, that, it's sweet i think it's a solid way to end an album questioning mortality longevity this kind of wrap up to one's life and you know we're getting to the end please remember me how i was not how i am or remember how i am not how i was either or could really work but this was really safe musically and that was something that that i agree that definitely left it a little unfulfilled for me i'll i'll, I'll give one point though to it uh, as as a closer it was another marketed shift in tone here. Everything was a lot slower, much more deliberate. I think that's what you said was much more vintage uh, Edie Brickell-like. Um, perhaps that's what she does best. And I did like the slower-paced um, nature to well, it. Oh, I meant the poetry of that. Uh, the poetry itself. It's the, well, yeah, that the lyrical it, imagery. That was sort of tied in. I think the whole entire thing had the slower feel to it. And it was very deliberate. Yeah, there was definitely an intent to slow down. and Kind of, it's, you know, take a moment at the end of this journey we've been on to realize we're at the end yeah, well it, it would have been frankly it would have been it would have been a sin to cast this uh this track as anything else if you if you sped this up it really really would have taken away the uh the sweetness and because bless you, bless you. and because of the content it, you can't have it anything because uh, anything but ending because it is specifically speaking of endings yeah that's yeah. the other thing it really does speak to uh, a closing theme it's a, it's a solid fit for the final track Let's talk wrap-ups. Well, since you piped up, why don't you start us off? Oh, no, I just like to introduce them. I, I never speak, speak up right away. I just like to, you know, give you a... Um, I, I'm, I have a platform set out for you. Walk it. Oh, Please I walk thank it. you. All right, I'll lead us off into the wrap-up. So I'll go second, don't worry. <laughs> it's fine. I, um, so this one was a tough one for me to grasp in the beginning only because I don't listen to a lot of banjo music. Folk music I have experience with to a point here and there, but, you know, I don't know a lot of banjo players. I've heard some here and there. Not the, a lot of banjo in your folk? I mean, the, the most banjo I've been listening to lately is by Mr. Be the Gentleman Rhymer, and he uses it very differently. Okay. So, He's also playing a banjo lately. A banjo lately, right. Um, I don't even know what that means. It's, it's a banjo. It's a, it's a, it's a tiny banjo. No, it's a ukulele. It's a ukulele. On a banjo body. Like on a mini banjo body. A banjo lately. I don't know if I should be fearful or it's gush with cuteness it's at amazing. that. It's amazing. Think keytar, but that instead. <laughs> um, but but anyway, with the, with this album, 
it was unique to me because I hadn't really heard any of Steve Martin's music. I know he'd been playing banjo work and been in many different folk and bluegrass bands for a while, but I hadn't really heard any of it. So I'm actually very excited that I got to hear it. And I'd say overall, I liked it. I enjoyed it. It, it, was, it was entertaining and enjoyable. It had ups and downs. Um, it wasn't by far my favorite piece of music that we've gotten to this year, not by a long shot, but that's because we've had so many highs and lows. But it's definitely on the higher end. I mean, there's definitely a quality, especially to his banjo playing, that's undeniable. The guy is good with the banjo. Whether he's the upper echelon, I mean, I don't know enough banjo players to say. But he definitely knows what he's doing. And he's definitely skilled. Edie Brickell's voice is gorgeous. Her lilts and her accent shining through, especially on very specific songs, carry the narrative of this record. And regardless of what's being sang about, this this need to control where you're going and where you'll end up is very apparent. And without... I think, really, the song we were just talking about, um, Shawnee is the only one that really lets that go. You know, it, it kind of just falls into a very tropey Help Me song. And, and I don't really get a sense of that anywhere else on the record. Um... You know, I mean, the, the the big standout is in the middle of the album, though. That's where I really got hooked the most. And I think um, the, the beginning of the album, too, it was really only the last couple of tracks that I felt kind of got very... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of generic-ish. What a generic word to use that for the yeah. description. <laughs> safe? <laughs> safe was probably the word I was actually looking for. It's a safe word, really. Oh, you're going to get hit. <laughs> Um, but that said, I really did like where it was going and I, I'm entertained to see where it goes in the future. I liked the theme. I liked the narrative very much. Um, and overall it was definitely above average as far as this blows the pants off of any, half the pop music we listen to on a regular basis without a problem. I feel, cause even though there are simple parts, there's still more emotion in those simpler parts. So for me, I rated it at a four. It's not enough to get above a four because there's no lyrical complexity for me to really knock it to the next level. But it's also not so simple musically that it's below a four. I think the more mostly on the face value lyrics mixed with the complex instrumentation makes it an even four for me. All right. I said I'll go second. I'll keep my word, man. Thanks. I'll try to keep this fairly brief. Um... I am actually genuinely impressed with uh, with Steve Martin's banjo playing. I, I, I came in as a naysayer because I know what his day job is, but frankly, that's what his day job was. I haven't really seen him in many movies lately, so yeah, he's, he's, he's a solid banjo musician. This is clearly what he does now, um, and he spent many years doing it, and it was pretty technical. Uh, that said, again, on, on an artistic perspective... From an artist's perspective, as you go through track by track, you sort of want to see a little bit of variety. And I know that bluegrass has that trope, and we've sort of danced around it, but at various points in the day, some of us have said certain things that hint to bluegrass being a genre that is kind of just the same. Yeah, you're probably going to be upbeat, but you're going to be impressed by it, but there's that sameness to it. I don't believe that has to be the case. I believe you can experiment, as this album does, but only in a few cases. I firmly believe that this album shined through in the middle. It had a very, very... Uh, its climax was exactly in the middle, but I wouldn't so much call the rising action a rising action, or the falling action a falling action, as much as a... a... 
we're finding our place. Oh, finally we found it. And now here's some great tracks, easily top star tracks. Personally think they should have deserved the Grammy award winning tracks over track three. And then sort of falling out of place from that as we come to the end. Sort of meandering around and, uh, you know, going back to the basics because that's what they're used to and it's what sells. It's it's great uh, lyric-wise. I think lyric-wise is where it shines originally. But um, musically, it's a little bit lacking for me. This almost echoes what we discussed back in... Uh, Leaving Eden by the Carolina Chocolate Drops. Granted, that was much more of a classic uh, Americana, and this is really pushing modern. And I believe I gave that a 3.5, so for this modern twist that we do find in some tracks, I'm going to be nice and bump this up to a 3.75. I can't quite call it a 4, though. I... I like words. <laughs> and he's got some... Clearly. Depth. Depth. I don't know. Clearly. Got... Depth. There is something about telling a story without actually saying anything that's hard to do and here it does tell this uh, tell a very very good theme without really actually spelling it out and that's an enjoyable part of something that as we describe over and over and over again is kind of on the nose lyrically uh, instrumentally you're getting a very straightforward experience if you just listen without really hearing what's going on because of that additional layer of the theme work i just got to give it i got to give it that bump up i always got to give a bump up for someone when they make me think we've had discussions borderline arguments about this both before and during the podcast so that's good that's great i love that that's provocative and provocative is amazing to do that with bluegrass in what everybody would think is a more accessible, a safer genre, is just a, a, another check mark in the right column. And I'm, I'm not to echo what it, what both Steve and Matt said. It's really, really good in the in the middle, but it's got a, a little more spread out than I think Steve's given it credit for. Uh, specifically, not not to naysay you, Steve, but oh, it's no. it's it's got some chops on the tail ends as well. Um, but you're also right in that it doesn't have a lot of it doesn't have all the depth throughout. It goes in spurts, and if it wasn't the theme tying it together, it could get very uh, just a little bit shallow for me. Just a quick interjection here: theme depends on what you're looking for, because honestly theme we're talking about like narrative theme here mm -hmm. okay this has some narrative arc to it which would be really really tough to discuss in something like last week's album uh which uh yeah the silk Design memorial yeah, orchestra yeah, yeah. be very tough to describe there but i would still say that there was a musical theme there a very musical arc again that was almost a little bit stronger than i found here in the in the very broad umbrella of fight for the little man because you get a lot of snapshots across the way so it's almost i can accept this as it's not so much a heavy point for me because I can accept it as partitioned, as a, a collection of tracks, as many albums are. But it's the context and uh, the approach that I find to be very alluring uh, for that theme, which is why I definitely would actually rate it higher than the uh, Silver Mount Zion. Um, but as, as I was saying, and as, as you said, Steve, it's just, it's good music throughout. Nothing's bad. It's good music throughout. There are 
glimpses of great, but not enough to sustain it. So I'm gonna be with you and say three seven five. Dokey dokey. What's my scale one to four? One to five. Five. One to five. All right. I think I'd give it a four. I mean. You can be so precise with these decimals. I love to no, do it. I know, Please I join know. me. <laughs> um, there were a couple of tracks that didn't grab me particularly, but for the most part, I really enjoyed the album. I was surprised by the pairing of Edie Brickell and Steve Martin, to be totally honest, because they occupy... Not because I can't conceive of him as a musician, because I think I've been thinking of him as a musician for quite some time, but um, it's like Edie Brickell op- like, occupies such a particular space in my evolution musically and personality wise that to hear her operating in an entirely different arena was pretty exciting for me and unexpected and even it didn't always work each number didn't always work but um but for the most part they did for me well flush that out just a little if i may ask you uh what what is definingly um different about Edie Brickell's work here as opposed to her vintage material i mean now we're gonna make me really think deep and long and hard about edie brickell and the new bohemians what i am is what i am are you what you are or what that's the title that's a sample lyric i mean like um i'm not aware of too many things i know what i know if you know what i mean it was more like listening to someone from the 60s who had sort of landed in the 80s make sense of the modern world while like on acid or after smoking a couple of bowls, that, I almost I like, like I almost prefer those lyrics to that, what I heard today. That was like that 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 feels like Hunter S. Thompson. And it came across. I'm like I love. There's a couple of songs on that old album that I really love, and this. But like for the most part, I remember like that song. I remember Little Miss S, and I remember Circle of Friends, which I feel like are numbers that a lot of people who are familiar with her music would remember, and. It's that sort of, there's a sort of, Little Miss S is sort of mourning the party girl, uh, living it up to die in the blink of a public eye. Like, she had great lyrics, absolutely. But, um, and Circle of Friends is, uh, friend of mine is not quite the same. It's like, it's almost like, what is it more like? Remember Me This Way, or almost Sun's Gonna Shine, like, a loss, like, we don't see you anymore, where have you gone? And um, I'm not really fleshing this out the way you're asking me to. Um, I feel like this album... I don't know how much collaboration went into Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians. I know she joined a group that already existed. Um, In this case, I just... I feel like nobody's trying to hog center stage that there's a sense of teamwork. Definitely There's a sense that... that, um, I don't think I would have ever conceived... I wondered a lot what happened to her. Mm. Um, when she sort of... like I guess she put out a couple of solo albums. I'm not familiar with them. This seems like a departure from her earlier stuff. She was really strong lyrically. She had a beautiful voice that we've heard in this album. But an expert... Trying to create new songs from a very old form. Like a very old form. And coming up with some inventive twists on what's already been done because to me a lot of that stuff did feel like it was subverting the forms of songs i was used to hearing right and i found it really pleasing i guess well that really is echoing the discussion we had back at um 
uh, Carolina Chocolate Drops. Yeah. It was all about, you know, how you kind of create new songs. And if anything, it was, it was very impressive that they were able to do that and stick to something that I, you know, I could, have heard, I could have heard it on like a 78 record and, and not even missed a beat. That that would have... Aside fit. from, yeah, aside from the email, this song, like these songs <laughs> yeah. were effectively fairly timeless. Yeah, I shoved that up in the beginning of the album, and it really wasn't relevant for the remainder. Because, yeah, there is a timeless element there, and I do agree. And I feel like, you know, the one little modern nod of email, like, doesn't... It didn't take me out of anything. Not at all. I I will be very curious to see what songs they pull from this for their musical, and what the plot of that musical will be, because I've never really heard of someone... I'm sure people have done it, but, like, they're literally directly going from having written an album to culling from that own album... from that album, not entirely, but partially, and building a story behind it. I want to know if that was the case all the like the desire all along. Um, It'd be interesting. It would be very curious musical because you know the lyrics uh, they're very forthright in some instances, and they can be very well, mm, halty. I know others. it takes place in the Blue Ridge Mountains, so in so the forties, in the forties and the twenties. So clearly, uh, that first when you get to Asheville is probably not going to be there in its present form, owing to it being nineteen forty-five at the beginning. There was um, no email. And there was no email um, because Al Gore hadn't invented the internet yet. Um, That's really. Um, and we thank him. We thank him every day. Um, but we wouldn't have the show if there was no internet. Thank you, Al Gore. Um, <laughs> sure, and the Al pipes, Gore. Why not? Oh, he. Oh. <laughs> It's a it's a reference to a comment made in a debate a long long time ago. Oh okay. In a, <laughs> Before in, in your Al time. Gore, in an Al Gore debate. In which Al, Al Gore accidentally suggested that he had invented the internet, yeah. which of course he had not. I actually watched all those debates. I don't remember that that one. Interesting. Yeah. It was yeah. You're um, gonna get called a nerd again. You keep this up. So <laughs> I watch debates. What do you want from me? But, um, I transpose. Oh, I had another thought though. Hold on, now it's going away. Edie Brickell, Steve Martin, Americana. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens with this on stage. Um, oh, that's so. I had heard when doing a little research on them. Um, I'd heard a great murder ballad, like I said. Um, they shot a live show, and the DVD of which is available as a gift if you donate to PBS. And the PBS drives, I think, start. On the 11th? The 5th or the 11th? Those are the two dates surrounding Steve Martin and Edie Brickell in performance that I'd heard. Um, and if you go online and search Steve Martin PBS, you can listen to his PSA about, or like his little ad for the album and for the, the DVD. And it's a little hilarious. Interesting. As Steve Martin is wont to be. I always support PBS in any case. Um, I firmly believe in that. Now, uh, I mean, just a couple questions for you. Because you are our... Wait. We have a musical interlude. We do have a musical um, interlude. I w- ask your questions after that interlude. I, I was thinking, actually, we would just let Sarah play the two songs back-to-back at the end, get a couple questions, let her talk a bit, and then we'll just have her play. Right. Oh, okay. Um, well, then, I'm going to make... He's with me, John. <laughs> okay. Sorry. My apologies. I, I wanted to... We're totally in sync there. I'm, I'm sorry. We're not doing the thing that we were going to do. I'm confused now. I lost my train of thought. Thank you. Now you take it away, Steve. All right, Sarah, what is your musical background? (laughs) Um, I've always been interested in music. I grew up, my dad's a rabbi, and I grew up um, surrounded by Jewish liturgical music. Um, We didn't really have a lot of pop music. Um, My first concert was Harry Connick Jr. 
I chose it. So like I grew up really invested in musical theater and, and, and reinvented standards. And like that was what was cool to me. Um, I said nasty things about the police in high school because that sounded just like it didn't Not sound... Not Sting. Oh, but Sting. And I'm sorry, Sting. I had never heard the police. It just didn't sound like I was such a goody goody. So basically what I'm saying is aside from musical theater and the Jewish religious music, I think that a lot of my popular music stuff came much later in life. Um, my aunt introduced me to the chieftains either when I was 10 or 15 and like completely changed my life. It was something about the fabric of Irish music that really appealed to me. Um, our friend Joseph Matten's got me into the chieftains. He made me a CD. They're fantastic. Um, I sang at Renaissance festivals. I did some musical theater in school. I sang underage in an Irish bar that no longer exists in Arizona. That was where I learned to sing in front of a small group of people as opposed to on a stage. And to view a song as an intimate story or a statement as opposed to like a presentational moment of musical theater. Um, and I sang in sessions in New York when I moved here to go to NYU. Um, I took voice lessons all the way through, but I didn't really start picking up the guitar in earnest until last year um, when I started working with a great guy named Mark Rogers um, out in Brooklyn. Um, who's been helping me give voice to like all the noise that's been sort of noodling around in my head, waiting for me to get some technique musically to back up the vocal stuff. It's a meandering answer. But, no, that's a very know. straightforward answer. Yeah. From, I mean, I understand there's always a, a plethora of different influences, not just influences, but also techniques that a musician needs to learn in order to um, just be well-rounded in yeah. the end or, or be performing quality to their own set of personal standards. And I'm a perfectionist, and as they say, the you know, perfect those is, the personal enemy, standards. is the enemy of done and is the enemy of good, and I'm trying to loosen up a lot. Um, I, mean, I love playing with the Wasties um, because I'm part of a team, and I have to learn to be a team player as opposed to like just trying to do the thing I want to do. Um, oh, and no, also, I watched this whole TED Talks interview, uh, this whole seminar about how the introverted should be, should be more respected in modern culture and that we shouldn't be pushing kids into being team players all the time and how it's infused with all our schools anyway this is a real tangent and it makes me angry but in any case i don't try too hard <laughs> oh i'm i'm too i mean i have this i have my own image of how i want things to sound it's like there's a part of, like i'm trying to discover my own sound and what that is in addition to what i can bring to a group now that i'm starting very slowly to write and to play my own backup stuff it's challenging um, yeah, and it, you know, it's like, but this woman, Brie Dower, um, from a band called Ashling, I don't know if that's the current band, but that was the band many, many years ago in Arizona, told me to find out about Ann Briggs and Sandy Denny. And I don't know if she told me to look up Susan McKeown, but I'm going to say sure because I did. And um, I'm really deeply influenced by a lot of female, like Irish and English female singer songwriters. And then like Tegan and Sarah and Ani DeFranco. Well, here's an interesting thing. I was, because you mentioned Irish a lot here, of course, a lot of that crosses into what we get in Americana, uh, just American folk tradition in general, because, well, around the mid-1800s, you have a lot of Irish immigrants, so they took their music in, and it sort of blends, and you just have, you know, diaspora following that. In any case, do you think you, you borrow from one more than the other? Do you go back to the roots, to Europe, or do you think you borrow more from the American here? I think sort of I 
much more Europe, probably. I'm like, I feel like the other reason I picked this album is it's like, I don't, I love that Steve Martin's playing Americana because while I love some of that stuff, I'll find out it's an American song originally, like completely by accident. Mm. There's so much, there was so much back and forth. I think in the 1800s and like the early 19th century that that which is the 1800s Sarah but that um song there are similar songs in both places well even now um, it can kind of fool you because now that you have all this revivalist stuff and everyone is pretty much in whatever culture they want to be right now whatever really fascinates them at that moment this this revivalist uh, Irish um interest here especially which, here in New York City kind of important it's fooled me on many occasions which is why i think we call, like the wasties call ourselves keltish like Kelt-ish. it's like it's our little yes. haha but you know while i had the great experience of singing at some sessions run by tony demarco um in manhattan when i was in college i'm not irish i'm not a like, i'm not a trained irish musician i have a passion and an interest hmm. but like what i do is not so strictly traditional i think of myself more of as a folk singer i suppose you know, okay. that there's, I like Pete. Well, folk Pete is the broad C- spectrum. Po- folk is the broad spectrum. And I think I'm okay at this point living in the broad spectrum. Like deep passion for Ireland, deep passion for English folk singers. Um, I feel like we owe so much to Sandy Denny and Nick Drake. And we don't even know, like lyrically, thematically, musically. Um, and I like going back as I go forward. Like I'm trying to get into more popular music a little i like daft punk but like it took a lot do you know like, and suddenly I, we're completely away well no but, but no. the thing is like you have to no no excuse to, me john no you're not going to argue for folk influence in daft punk's music there's no folk influence in daft punk's music that i can find i mean there i realized that what i had in terms of my music collection was almost all like female singer songwriters like nick drake was one of a few guys and I thought, you know, and like then like Frank Hart, I think maybe like some, some um, Shano singers from Ireland whose music I had, but I mostly listened to the women. So I've been trying to expand my repertoire a little bit. Oh uh, well, Beyond, not, like, not to Prince throw in a a, a Prince. Well, I lo- I, how can you not love Prince? Of course, but I mean, you again, could, I'm that's sure. almost that's almost as far as Daft Punk for fo- as far as folk is concerned. I don't know. I feel like Prince's music is. Oh no, she's doing it. What? I'm backing her up on this one. John, it's trans- in the back. Well, I mean, I think it's transformative. I mean, I don't know about folk. I don't know what Prince's influences are, to be totally honest. But <laughs> no one does. He's, but I think uh, to the possibly to a degree, but like maybe a little. Cut. He, he's really fantastic at just. Oh yeah. At digging in and and finding new and sort of joyful musical expression. Actually, I have a minor Prince tangent. Um, one of his oh, no. guitarists played City Winery recently, where a friend of mine works, and he did a guest song or two with them and just walked out on wait, stage. Wait, wait, wait. Prince showed up? Yeah, just showed oh. up at City Winery. No one knew he was going to be there. They weren't allowed to post pictures. Well, here, here's a, here's a musical influence tangent for you. So one of my favorite singer-songwriters uh, started her career as Moby's backup singer. Her name was Kelly Scar. And probably her, like, she directly more than anyone... Um, influenced me to find a guitar teacher. Her and Alyssa Flynn, who runs a music series, a quarterly music series at the Way Station that I write songs for to varying degrees of success. Um, that, that Kelly's music is, is I don't know how, to, I want to say it's pure. It's just, it's this very worldly lyric 
penned with this paired with this really beautiful sort of folksy Americana sounding twangy stuff. Right. And it just hits me like a ton of bricks in all sorts of different ways every time. And like the literal thought after 35 years, I think at the time was I need to do that. Mm. Um, and it took a lot of wibbling around and doing various things to go, Oh, that that's right. Well, right. even when you were saying you were uh, reviewing various folk traditions and sort of looking into them, uh, not to insert an advertisement in, into your interview, but look east also, mid-Europe, like folk traditions, also very, very interesting stuff there. Or at least just the melodies themselves. You might be able to find that uh, from a guitar teacher, perhaps, because it's, Mark they're has all been over really very actually helpful in terms of recommendations for like different modes. Like musical traditions according to different modal yeah, like choices. Bartok, for instance, uh, Bella Bartok based a huge amount of his own work on like Hungarian folk. So, which you know, granted, it's a little bit different, but at the same time, and it's core, it's almost not. This like the melodic structures, you could still find lots of, lots of, um, comparisons to you know what you might find in Celtic because if you look back hundreds of years, they're probably connected. So, eh, it's it's an, it's the kind of thing where. Once once that fusion hits you, it, you could really really spark something. Great. So um, thank you. You know, just food for thought. Awesome. Music for thought and whatnot. I, I like to throw in little advertisements. <laughs> I also do love me. I mean, like, I there's a part of me that wishes I had more of a musical theater voice because, like, Stephen Sondheim is the be all end all. I think the only thing of his I didn't love was the really Americana sounding musical that he did yeah. a few years ago. Bounce, it was called Bounce at one point. I remember what it ended up being called. Um, complicated lyrics and really evocative music that demands a lot of the singer and the listener. That's what I'm after. Interesting. I'm also interested in this combination between folk and theater because... I, I, there was one thing, especially as we were going through this album today, that it was really, really tough for me to see this in theater. Um, and it is happening. So that's odd. From what I've heard, it's me. happening in San Diego this, this winter. Um, a little pre-Broadway. Yeah. And you could see the influence immediately here in, in this work. That was, I that was tough for me. Well, I mean, so I think... I, where, do you, where do you find the fusion between those two styles? Well... I think the fusion is sort of imposed by the people who want to see their show on Broadway, to be totally honest. I mean, that's, that's a fair point. It's, I, I wouldn't go so far as to call this a jukebox musical because I think they are writing the show, drawing from some of these songs and then writing some new ones, is my understanding. I could be wrong. Um, I think things that are influenced by the folk movement make more sense to me in the context of drama rather than things that are lifted directly like I never saw Jersey Boys because I didn't feel like I wanted to see a, a biopic of that band particularly personally because it didn't draw me right. like I don't know but like I'm, I'm curious to see the Carol King musical and that's not really answering your question. I don't know where I see the fusion. I think I think it. No, we're just on theater now. That's okay. <laughs> but I don't think there has to be fusion. I mean, for all our gripes with Green Day over the year we've been doing this and more, they took American Idiot and put it on Broadway. They I did didn't... not expect American Idiot to work, and I was blown away. Yeah, and and it worked pretty well, and most of those songs stayed as is. I will and... say I was satisfied seeing that. Like, I saw Spring Awakening several times. I was satisfied seeing American Idiot once. Me too. 
and I will I will just make the claim that uh, folk music itself is storytelling in its most basic roots and right there that's theater and it's actually telling a story it's a fairly easy translation between the two it's just in my mind i just don't see why you're having the issue i think Um, maybe it has something to do with the clear-cut uh straightforward nature of it musical theater often tends to beat around the bush a little bit, drag certain things out. Cite an example later. for me so I know. Because I've got counterexamples an, an, ex- an, an example of theater, which... Of which musical theater doing which what sort of saying. meanders. Yeah. Oh, let's see here. Musical theater. Honestly? Hmm, now that you're catching me off guard a little bit, it is a kind of tricky. Because I mean, I'm going through one by one, and they are straightforward I think that in some sense. Possible. There's a, it's a Maybe difference. I'm thinking more of like play. Of course, a play, when it lacks the music, then, of course, you're going to go much deeper into it. But it's true once you have the music as a as a front. I mean, I think it's all one or the other. I think there's music that moves the story along and music that comments on the action. And I think that gives you two very different styles of music. Mm-hmm. Like I think part of why Sondheim is so wildly popular is that I think, at least, that his songs truly move the action along. You can have a fight in a Sondheim song. You can mourn the loss of a parent. You can share your wishes for your wishes for your future and your frustration at your sort of lot in life. And those are all specific songs that I'm thinking of as I say this. You know, that his, his songs truly further the action. And I think maybe some of the frustration with my frustration with the jukebox musical is I don't really see how that's possible as much. Hmm. That I'm much more interested like if you're gonna integrate if you're gonna integrate folk into musical theater, I wanna see that you can do it organically and use those songs to further the action. Well that's ideal. I, organic integration would be great. I, I um I'm more of like the producers slash um, West Side Story ilk. So when I think of that variety of musical theater, it, it, it's it's tough to see the folk there because there's so like it this it's so it's complex in its way. But yes, I understand they're fairly straightforward stories. They're still narrative, just like John said. But folk tends to revolve around. I I feel like many of the um the narratives tend to revolve around things that have rural uh backgrounds um small town feels what you're saying folk and roots music folk and roots music yeah i mean i think a lot of it has to do with the expansion of the country a lot of folk and roots music like people being killed for their their but they've murdered someone and now it's their turn up the gallows you know or um I was silent when I was accused of murder because though I was innocent, I had been sleeping with my best friend's wife. And what could I say? And now she mourns me. Which I don't see happening so much rural necessarily as like that westward expansion. Um, Things that happened in emerging metropolises. That's interesting, though, because of that, I could almost see it as a noir flick, sort of. That's the long And then combining noir with... uh... With with musical theater That's would the long, create something yeah. fairly comedic, although I would like to see someone dramatize the Long Black Veil. That would be good. Huh. It's a sad, sad song. Okay. I've been sitting here like vibrating because we've had an example on the our podcast of exactly what you were talking about in the Two Cent Show, and it's vaudevillian nature, 
and the visuals that were gone with it and the way we went into it and I can't believe you don't remember that. Well, Folk wasn't the first thing that, that jumped out there. Yeah, but that's yeah, but everything Bill does have that, yeah. But but everything you're, right. you're describing of being able to tra- uh, being unable to translate is present in I know, I'm like, actually not saying it's also... una- I never said it's unable to translate. I'm 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 actually just interested. Oh, here's another reason I wonder how well folk would translate to theater um, unless you're writing original music like they are for this musical um, you're dealing with super derivative stuff um, they're, the child ballads um, there's like some of them have like 20 variations people sing things to different tunes it's like it's sort of like open source music that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like yeah. that's that's almost how I see a lot of it potentially turning out is is sort of derivative. I I, I want to well, bring to example just like, you know, another genre that tried to make the foray. For instance, like Scott Joplin, Scott Joplin with Ragtime. He tried to make the foray into opera, which is essentially musical theater. You know, at the time, and and he had one play, Tremonitia, and it didn't really sell. Like it had, it kind of brought in the themes that you'd find in like Ragtime era folky stuff, and. It actually is a pretty good play. I almost wa- would have wanted to see more of it, but it, it strikes me as the kind of thing that could be that that one chance hit, and if it if it works, great. If it doesn't, it could be a dead end. So it's re- it, it it strikes me as a potentially risky thing, but also well, potentially interesting. Here's an interesting factoid about commercial theater: ninety percent of productions do not recoup. So mm. anything you put on stage. Is a, is a potentially losing proposition. And so it is much rarer that things work critically, and once they've worked critically, they work commercially. That's a fairly good answer. <laughs> oh, I like that. I'm satisfied with that. Anyone else have any questions? I think that this would be a good time after that lengthy discussion about her background and where she comes from that we uh, move on to the musical performance portion of the podcast. All right. Yeah. Well, Steve. so... So why don't you give us... Uh, tell us a little bit about both songs that you're going to perform today. First, the cover. The first song is Flash Company. I learned it at the behest of um, one of the members of the Wasties, Noam, because um, it's a number that we do. And it was originally... The, the, the version that we learned from um, was June Tabor and... Oh my God, Martin! I wrote it down, Martin Simpson, and I like he's an, an incredible guitar player. I can only hope that someday I can do a quarter of what he does. Um, I think that June Tabor actually wrote that song, and then the next one is a song I wrote in four hours before a friend's wedding reception, um, <laughs> because my gift was a performance. They had a lot of performer. It was the most amazing wedding. They had this reception at the Bell House, and. Um, I had agreed to sing, and I, I realized I couldn't just sing anything. I had to give them something new. And so I drew on things I knew about their relationship and things from my own relationship and came up with, like, these are not pop... My, these friends do not strike me as pop song people, and so I thought it was hilarious that I have essentially written them a tiny pop song, which now they can have a recording of because they can hear it here. That's right. So Sarah and Steven, Splice, you cut, are. copy, do what you will <laughs> with this podcast. It's your file now. So, um, so we break them up or, uh, um, so, uh, we'll have her perform after we close out the podcast figure, just, you know, have her perform as the closing of the podcast or do you want her to perform and then 
give my spiel about next week, blah, blah, blah. Should have the details worked out, huh? I guess so. All right. Well, we did, but we changed things. It got me we'll, confused. We'll stop talking now so Sarah can play, and then we'll come back with, uh, with what we're doing next week. Oh, it's once I loved Donald, and then I loved John. Then I loved William, such a clever young man. With his white cotton stockings and his low ankle shoes And he wears a blue jacket wherever he goes And it's tie a yellow handkerchief in remembrance of me Wear it round your neck, love, in flash company Flash company, me boys, like so many if it hadn't have been for Flash Company, I'd never have been so poor. Oh, it's fiddling and dancing, they were all my delight. And keeping Flash Company, it has ruined me quite. It has ruined me quite, me boys, like a great many more. If it hadn't been for Flash Company, I'd never have been so poor. And it's tie a yellow handkerchief in remembrance of me. Wear it round your neck, love, in Flash Company. Flash Company, me boys, like so many more. If it hadn't have been for Flash Company, I'd never have been so poor. It's once I had color, I was red as the rose Now I'm as pale as the lily that grows Like the flower in the garden, all my color has gone Don't you see what I am come to by loving of such a one? And it's tie a yellow handkerchief in remembrance of me Wear it round your neck, love, in Flash Company Flash Company, me boys, like so many more If it hadn't been for Flash Company, I'd never have been so poor Cause you fill most every night Now there's no need to pick a 
fight over who will see and when. And here we go. People say we're in love and it's weird. I know how they're right every time, no more on our own. I am yours and you are mine. Now you wear ink on your fingers and pencils in your hair. No need to ask where the art is at, we make it everywhere. We've started on forever, it's our next great adventure. We've got love enough to share. And here we go. They all know we're in love, it's not weird. I know that they're right every time, no more on our own. I am yours and you are mine. I am yours and you are mine. Well, those were great. Thank you for playing on the podcast. Thank you for being a guest today. Thank you for having me here. Um, we will have you back again. Um, I'm looking forward to more of your original work that you do. I like your cover work and the Wasties cover work, but I'm way more like, interested in... I'm re I really like the original work. Thank you. Um, so let's first start with our usual spam. Spam of the week. Check my status update. Thank you in advance. Meow, one rule. Give likes, take likes. Always stay touching best. Like or like, comment back. Meow, DP, cover. Also, with status, if you're not back, then this is my last comments. Unlike her, mudge the two kilometer Dorejo. Just call like comments. Now, Millie Woek, MSG Cardo. Best liker, add me girls or boys upon co. Just likes, C, M, T, L, B, hi, agar block, ho, T, W, batow. Mabedjta, Han request, but except fast. Thank you, friends. That was one email. Yeah. Wow. Better than some of the other ones we've gotten. That one was There's... at least entertaining, though it was mostly the voice that Steve was doing. Yeah, you can do ShamWow. I don't know how else to read M-E-A-A, M-E-A-H, except meow. <laughs> oh, M-E-A-H. Meow. Meow. You have a new catchphrase now, Steve. Yeah. Um. Do you know how fast you're going right now? I knew you were going to quote that. I it's, it's, like, it's like a... It's like... Edward G. Robinson makes a cameo in an anime. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the dumbest and most funny thing you've ever oh said. Um, oh, that's pretty good. No, there you go. Check mark, Steve. Good go. Again, I want to thank our guest, Sarah Biz. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, it was a pleasure having you. We'll have you back soon. Awesome. Thank you. Um, next week is my pick. Next week. And, and so I was kind of at a loss until I was looking online today at Metacritic, and I found out that Beck, at, as of when we're recording tomorrow, has a new al brand new album coming out called Morning Phase. So Beck. that's what we'll be doing. Beck's back. Beck, Beck. Yay. Beck, Beck. I Beck. cannot wait to be thoroughly puzzled by this music. I haven't heard an original work by Beck that I like since this got Pilgrim soundtrack, so, you know. And not yeah, since that. the Eternal Sunshine soundtrack. So there you go. And, and and they're both very confusing because it's back. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so, as always, thank you for our guest. Um, I'm looking forward to next week with this new album. And in closeout, would you like to say our sign-off, Sarah? Music is life and life is good. Thank you. She got it. Yeah. <laughs> First try. Awesome.